podcast this week. We're the pod with an Eli Roth in its walls as the director of the house with the clock in its walls pops in for a chat. Plus, we ask for a simple favour from Paul Fig. Just come in and tell us about your new movie, A Simple Favour. All that and more on the movie podcast that knows for sure, as sure as it knows anything, that the title of Avengers 4 will drop at some point after we record this podcast. And it's killing us. <laughs> Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Emperor Podcast. This week, I'm joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning. We have Ben Travis, our... He's the youngest, most active, most fertile member of the staff. How are you, Ben? <laughs> I'm slightly disturbed that you seem to have some kind of spreadsheet or ranking of who are the most fertile people in the office. Just um, be thankful we're not talking about your soft hands on the podcast, because <laughs> that would just be really weird. That would be weird, wouldn't it? Why is this happening? This, do you not know about this, Helen? No. Ben is famous for his oh-so-soft hands in the Empire which people occasionally come up and stroke. I've not heard this before. Have you not heard this? <laughs> no. You've not seen people going up and stroking Ben's soft, soft hands. It's because he's a millennial and Helen, has never done a hard day's work. In, see? <laughs> he's never done a hard day's work in his life. Yeah. Like, it's, like yeah. the, it's like, you know, like the velvet pads. He looks like gnarled yeah, hands. That's true, yeah. He's got, he's got the, like, you know the little pads that kittens have like before they've actually <laughs> walked on the floor? That's what his hands are like. Let me see your hands. <laughs> Look at it. Never worked in the Turn it over. Turn it over. Okay. All right. Fairy liquid. That's what it is. <laughs> it's... I don't know what it is, but I got, I got a birthday handshake from Johnny. Thank God you said shake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a birthday handshake from Johnny, and then he exclaimed at the softness of my hands, mm. and then before I knew it, everyone in the office was queuing up to touch my soft hands. Well, it's, like, it's like that famous advert in the 90s, hands that do dishes are as soft as Ben Travis's. Ah, yeah. <laughs> mild green With fairy mild liquid. Mild green <laughs> Benny Travis. I actually know an incredibly laboured joke about that slogan. I won't go into it. Go on. <laughs> No, I really, it's really incredibly laboured. Oh, no, no, no. Have you been oh, in the no. podcast before? <laughs> we do incredibly laboured. That's our jam. Oh. You've, you've backed yourself into a corner here. And by the way, I should introduce you very quickly yes, for please. people who don't know. Uh, this is our geek queen, Helen O'Hara. How Hello. are you? I'm good, thank you. And uh, James Dyer is also here, which is nice, I guess. Hi. Go on then. Okay, so um, there's a seafood restaurant uh, and they specialise in... in Unusual varieties oh, of seafood. Know you know this, this one, right? You know this, joke, yeah. right? Uh, and uh, and so finally, a customer comes in. And he orders one of the rarest dishes on the menu. And they have all this live seafood. They have to kill it, obviously, to serve it up. And he he <laughs> orders this this rare, <laughs> this rare kind of squid, right? Um, it's a sort of a mint color. It's an unusual squid. It's known as the hairy-lipped variety. Okay, so. Um, Basically, the, the, the chef goes to kill this squid to serve it up and he looks at the squid and it's in a really cute squid and he just, he can't, he can't do it. He can't do it. So he looks around, his name is Gervais, he looks around, he tries <laughs> to find someone <laughs> and, uh, and the only other person free in the restaurant is the, is the kid who, the kid who yes. cleans the dishes. Yeah. His name is Hans. He gets him over, he tries to kill the squid as well, but the squid looks up with its big eyes or whatever squids have and, and it's just so cute and he can't bring himself to kill a squid. And the moral of the story is that hands that do dishes can be soft as Gervais with a mild green. <laughs> Hairy lipped squid. Hairy lip squid. Oh my God. It's the worst joke. And you need to be familiar with the advertising campaign that's been off the air for 20 years. Yes. It is such a complicated joke. I suspect I wrote it in the past life. <laughs> The contortions yeah. you have to do to make that joke work are astonishing. I know, and I really don't have it in me, let's be honest. Yeah. So, yeah. That was fun. I, I liked yeah. the way you, you, stopped, you started laughing so hard you couldn't deliver the punchline. 
That was good. Uh, believe me, yep. Netflix are giving stand-up specials <laughs> to people for less. <laughs> That was fun. Yeah. Um, so um, I once owed Guy some money and I went up to him and I gave him a really ill octopus. He said, what's this? I said, here's a six squid I owe you. But, but an octopus and a squid shut are completely... Shut the fuck up! Shut the, shut the fuck up! You're not, you're not Terry Nutkins! I mean, if he'd gone with, I don't know, calamari or something, I mean, yeah, I like it, there was a, a way completely for that to different work. type of, you know. Yeah. I was panicked. <laughs> I just grabbed the first cephalopod I could see. <laughs> you know how it's very hard to get your hands on one of those things. Uh, okay. Did you know the plural of octopus is octopode? <laughs> Speaking of getting your hands on uh, on a cephalopod, there was that video earlier on this year, some CCTV footage from I th- it was Sea Life, possibly in London, where these two guys came along with a pram mm-hmm. and took... It actually might have been a stingray. It was a shark. It was a shark. Yeah. You're and such just, a fish racist. <laughs> they just scooped this little shark out of the water and put it in a pram and walked off with it. Isn't this the plot of Finding Dory? I mean, it is, it is, but it actually also happened. Yeah, it happened in real life. Yeah. Genuinely. And as happened. you were telling that joke, I was like, this sounds like the setup of Ratatouille 2, <laughs> but the third chef they're going to go to is going to be it's Remy gonna the be Rat. It's going to be a rat. Yes, yeah, that's true. <laughs> he probably had to do it. Somebody did, you know. That per man had ordered the dish. Here's a question from at Carl from Wolves, regular podcast question contributor, because he asks the things that gets our little grey cells working overtime. And this one is with Marvel. Don't, listen, don't roll your eyes. It's not Marvel question. With Marvel using CGI to de-age cast members, do you think this is a good thing and should be used in other franchises? Who else would you like to see de-aged? I think it's a qualified thing. I think it works well for something like the MCU, which has this continuing cast of characters who are meant to have you know, had a past within that universe. And we've seen through the medium of Howard Stark that it is extremely confusing when you keep changing the person playing that role and that might be more sensible and more streamlined to have the same person playing the role in different eras of that person's life especially if it's someone like Robert Downey Jr Samuel L Jackson um, where we know what they looked like in the 80s or the 90s mm-hmm. you know it's kind of it's kind of good to see that um so i think it's it's extremely useful for marvel because it saves us having to suspend disbelief and believe that someone else is actually Samuel L Jackson when he hasn't changed that much in the last 25 30 years i think i wouldn't use it willy-nilly and I don't think it should be used willy-nilly not least because the elder generation of actors should get out of the way of younger people coming up and leave space um, that Are is the natural way of the universe roll over and just die Helen is that I am saying? suggesting that it is weird on some level that so many 80s stars are still A-list and that maybe there comes a time where they should gracefully step back a little bit into supporting roles. Yes, What's your definition of a list? Because I would say a lot of 80 stars are just on a list. Okay, that's probably fair. But if you have, you know, Harrison Ford's, yep. the Bruce Willis's, the people like that, yep. who are still getting, you know, big, big hype when they sign up for basically anything, that shouldn't maybe be the case forever. And, and if the, you start de-aging them and putting them in the... You know, somebody was suggesting young Han Solo with a de-aged Harrison Ford and suggesting that Harrison Ford would jump at the chance. First of all, he wouldn't. He absolutely would not. He probably couldn't. (laughs) Oh, he could. He's a a fit man. He's in good shape. Yeah, he could kick all her asses. Yeah, he really could. Let's not mess with that. But he, I don't think there's a single part of him that cares about going back to that character half as much as any of us care about him going back to that character. So why would he want to? We should be looking to move on. We should be looking to develop things. It's all part of the big circle of life. It is. That said, though, 
Wouldn't you like to see, instead of them doing Indiana Jones 5 with uh, Indiana Jones who's going to be in his 70s, and then you have all the problems that come with that, all the logic sure. problems of uh, how can he handle himself, how can he still be physically active at that age. And obviously he is, he is. Harrison Ford is, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you know, you, you it'll be harder to buy him punching a bunch of people in the face and running around and jumping and sure. swinging and all that well, sort of here's stuff. Here's my solution to this. Already the fact that they're making Indiana Jones 5 makes no sense, because where did 4 go? That was, sorry, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, come on. I just lost my myself just go straight from three to yeah. five it's yeah. ridiculous yeah. it's madness but also um, maybe just don't that is my solution there's yeah. obviously a don't uh, part of this that you can take into consideration but they are so it's happening but yeah. wouldn't it be better if that was a fill in the blanks kind of thing where we had a de-aged Harrison Ford playing an indie in his 40s or 50s at that that ripe period no. you know that scene in uh, like you know that, that fan fiction film they released a few years ago the one oh, yeah. there's a scene and you can tell this fan fiction because there's a scene where Harrison Ford or a bloke who looks just like him is sharing a scene with the janitor from Scrubs and Jim from Neighbours at the same time so it's clearly some weird fan fiction thing going mm. on there and they're talking about how Jim from Neighbours is talking about how I knew you indeed during the war and after the war and we all we had all those incredible adventures and I'd like to see those move that movie instead with a with a DH Harrison Ford. That's true, but then they should have made that movie in nineteen ninety five. I mean, I guess we're going to see in the near future examples <laughs> where at, at the moment. In the Marvel films and in things like Pirates 5, there was a de-aged Johnny Depp. And it's it's these smaller moments, it's these occasional flashback scenes. But by the sounds of it, uh, Samuel L. Jackson in, in Captain Marvel and uh, The Irishman, the Scorsese film, where they're going to be de-aging the likes of De Niro. And at first, kind of the whole film is what, what we understand. We're going to get our first look at these films where it is more than just the occasional scene. Mm. And I think that'll be the ultimate test to see if that's sustainable yeah, the, or if the it's uncanny valley is yeah. still a threat really. i think the answer to this question is well the answer to every question if i'm honest is arnold schwarzenegger um <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's not just because we come off the back of recording about 18 hours of arnold schwarzenegger ranking um it's ranking yes no it's because so you think about what they did in for example and i know this will be troubling for you think back to terminator salvation think back to mm. terminator genesis what Don't you had there with, exactly <laughs> you had cg arnold cg arnold bad look back at rogue one you know i i was i liked what they did with peter cushing i thought that was cool but it is still weird and the carrie fisher at the end was less successful what i would like to see instead of cg arnold is de-aged arnold so the new terminator film i'd like to see the terminator as he was but with a de-aged Arnold, I think that would be awesome. So what they're doing... So my understanding is that for a lot of these films, they have other actors, they have stand-ins, and so it's basically really good face replacement going on as well. Um, the quality does mm. vary. I think Kurt Russell in Guardians 2 is amazing. I thought Michael Isn't Douglas in Amanda Wasp... there almost no CG in that? Less so. Uh, so, they, so they say, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but the hair is extraordinary. If that's not his hair, if that's someone else's hair, wow, well done. Well done on the hair. Yeah. I'm just envious of your hair. Yeah, I'd love to see that as well. And, you know, they're, they're still talking about doing McLean, the, 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 McLean. The, sixth die hard, yeah, the sixth Die Hard movie, and with a young... With a young... McLean. Uh, and an old... McLean. <laughs> <laughs> the worst. <laughs> you know, but I kind of get Helen's point. You could get Bruce Willis... Good luck persuading him to be a young McLean. But that shuts off an avenue of opportunity for a young actor to play McLean. Also, and I genuinely mean this, you know, I love all of these movies, I do, but at the same time, at some point, guys, we have to let go of the fucking 80s. 
What? Don't we have be to. ridiculous, we Helen. Have to. No, we never. can't keep remaking <laughs> Die Hard and Terminators and Predators and Star Wars and Indiana Jones forever. There has to come a time the 80s where we let it go. We're the pinnacle of human existence. We will be celebrating that for millennia to come. <laughs> I what? Just, really? No. <laughs> how, how can we not, though? Who remembers Spangles? <laughs> I, you know, I just so I'm that. That's my genuinely my my biggest bugbear with the whole de aging. Helen, thing. fuck the eighties, O'Hara. I mean, that would seem like a lot of work. So <laughs> probably not. I mean, it sounds like you might be getting your wish because I think uh, full on nineties nostalgia yes. is really banging the I doors down. I am ready down. for it. I Space am here Jam for Two. It. Oh, no, Space I'm Jam not here for that. No, no, I am here no, as the re- representative to be excited about Space Jam Two. <sighs> okay, well, we'll get to that. Uh, who remembers Sabrina the Teenage Witch? God, the night weren't the nineties great. Well, Amazing. she's back. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Bill and Ted, come on. I mean, they're actually technically 80s, but I'll allow it. It was 89. Have, it was have you seen time. the new Sabrina on Netflix? It Cuban hasn't started yet. yet. Oh, okay. okay. Well, we've had, this, <laughs> we've had the screeners on pilot TV. Um, yeah, it's good. Watch I'm it. looking forward to that. Yeah. Even if it doesn't have a slightly janky mechanical cat mm. and... Well, yeah, fun, it doesn't, funny doesn't have that. And it's slightly more sinister. But yeah. speaking of pilot TV, the brand new pilot TV podcast is available to download now. That's so getting cut. <laughs> if you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast, as Carl from Wolves has to his satisfaction, you can get in touch with us via a number of methods. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast or chances are we won't see it. We're on Facebook as well as Empire Magazine. Need to get a question from Facebook, Ben. I'll do that. I'll okay. troll. You're on it. You're on it. And you can email us as well, podcast at empireonline.com. Okay, time now for our first guest this week. He has been on the podcast before. He is the man who cast me uh, memorably, indelibly, as Drunk British Slob in Hostel Part 2, but please don't hold that against him. He is, of course, Eli Roth, the director of Cabin Fever, the first two hostels, The Green Inferno, Death Wish. But he's changing gears with this week's The House with a Clock on Its Walls. It is a horror movie, but one squarely aimed at families and kids. Jack Black and Kate Blanchett playing a warlock and a witch with a young boy battling an evil clock. It's better than it sounds. But just, yeah. uh, it's a lot of fun. And uh, Eli Roth came into the pod booth last week, I think it was. Who knows? And uh, we had a good old chat about a great many things. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast for the first time in a long time by the director of The House with a Clock in Its Walls, Mr. Eli Roth. How are you, sir? I'm good. Happy to be back. It's good to see. It's good. To, it reminds me of old times. Yeah. In Prague, <laughs> when you were just drunk on a stag night, <laughs> or maybe drunk in a train. Well, on the train was I. I was drunk British slob, so I guess. Yeah. I guess technically I, I would have been. It's like you were in Stan's stag night <laughs> a year later. It was yeah. still going. Somehow managed to survive that yeah. and, and, and then move on. That was amazing. That was my birthday that day I on Hostel that. Party. That was, that was that a was good a, time. That's the best birthday you've ever had. It's been all downhill since then. Yeah. All downhill. Do you, if you had birthdays on sets of your movies, what, what, what was that like if you, if you had? I did. On Hostel, I had a birthday mm-hmm. and they made me a cake and K&B rigged it to speak. Square blood <laughs> as soon as I blew out the candles. And I was so touched that I left the blood on my face for the rest oh, of the day. Man. It was kind of beautiful. That's I like celebrating, like birthdays and Halloween uh-huh. are really fun to do on set when okay. you have a makeup department. You can do awesome <laughs> stuff. And we're shooting House of the Clock and Its Walls. We're doing the scene where there's this pumpkin attack and yeah, yeah, yeah. we're fighting yeah. these evil pumpkins and Jack gets vomited on with all this pumpkin goo. <laughs> 
And it was Halloween weekend, and so we're in this neighborhood in yeah. Georgia, yeah. and everybody knows we're shooting at this house. So people are kind of showing up drunk from their Halloween parties to watch us film. So we were, like, shooting, and we look over, and there's, like, zombie nurses and <laughs> people with, like, throat slash and undead and Donald Trumps, and everyone was just drunk. And they're all just kind of drunk watching our you know, watching and shooting. It was hilarious. Amazing. Do you, you know, feel the need to try and sneak a couple of minutes of the movie? Yeah, you know, just like, you're here, you're made up. That's my well. I know. You know. We said, well, man, we got some cool extras. Yeah. Uh, so The House of Clock, Clock on the Walls, it follows a long tradition of horror films. I mean, obviously, this is a horror film for, for the for younger kids, generation. Yeah. But a long generation, a long tradition, rather, of horror movies that have The House at the, uh, as his, at the beginning of his title. Mm-hmm. He must be fairly happy about that, to be following some interesting footsteps. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, love, it's, I love the John Bellairs book and the Edward yeah. Gore illustrations. And yeah. look, I made a movie about a cabin and then a hostel, <laughs> so I'm clearly interested. <laughs> You're upgrading knock, each time. In a house. Yeah, so clearly, <laughs> clearly I'm interested in, in structure, structural horror. Uh-huh. But um, I just loved... I miss those PG kids scary movies that yeah. that were like the gate for us. They were the yeah. gateway drug movies. They're oh, the yeah. movies because if we think about those, the violent horror, Friday the Thirteenth, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Nightmare on Elm Street, those were VHS movies. Mm-hmm. Those were those yeah. were films that we saw at a sleepover. Mm-hmm. Someone's parents like don't watch that movie. Someone snuck a tape or stuff that you got from the video store like that. That's where you saw them. But the theatrical experiences. That was Poltergeist, Raiders of the Lost Ark, mm-hmm. E.T., mm-hmm. Goonies, Gremlins, mm-hmm. even nuts films like Pee-wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice or yeah. Time Bandits. I must have seen Time Bandits five times in the cinema. I just and That's what a kid's movie was, Labyrinth. Yeah. These were kid's movies. And they were very dark. Time Bandits, the kid's parents blow up at the end of the movie. It's like, <laughs> what? And the guy gets turned into a pig? We're like, wait, what? Is he, yeah, yeah. he going to go back from being a pig? Like, as a kid. And, but it got you so excited to see those movies. You saw them with your parents. You saw them in a theater with a big group. And I, I almost feel like those early Amblin movies are almost a lost art form. Because mm. kids' movies have all either gone animated or become PG-13 superhero movies. And mm. obviously there's brilliant examples of both but that movie that you can take your kids to if you love scary movies and you want your kids to be into scary movies you got to start them somewhere and this is the movie that you take them to that where it's scary but it's not going to traumatize them <laughs> that's a hope i mean have you traumatized anyone yet though have you had reports of people oh i'm being... sure the first we had a screening we did a test screening and there's a scene where these there are these automatons that yeah. I, I wanted oh, yeah. it to yeah, look yeah, yeah, yeah. like uh yeah. street of crocodiles the brothers quay film and okay and also mouse hunt gore verbinski's movie oh, yeah, is a big yeah. influence on this so so and a film called the house that screamed from 1970 another the house another the house movie. Yeah. yeah so there's a scene where they're looking at the automatons and they suddenly come to life and this one just like the neck as the head and this eight-year-old kid was in the front row. It was like someone zapped him with a taser. He jumped out of the <laughs> and went, ah! and the whole theater burst out laughing. It was just it was just this great moment. And then watching the theater jump, watching kids jump like that, but you can tell when people are traumatized and they're like sick or when they're just leaving the theater with a smile on their face and <laughs> and we haven't we haven't gone that far. You know, that's that's the thing is you don't you want it to be enjoyable yeah, yeah, and you yeah. want them to go see more. But I don't know, it depends how young you take the kid, depends what your fear of yeah. of automatons and vomiting pumpkins are. If that's a phobia <laughs> of yours, do not see this movie. Well we talked about this before we we spoke for Empire magazine. 
And we talked about how some people might feel that this is a bit of a departure for you. But as you pointed out, you do have this really off-the-wall, very fun sense of humor. I mean, for God's sake, Hostel Part 2 ends with... People kids playing, playing football. soccer with a decap- <laughs> football with a decapitated head. Yeah. And then the kid kicks the head <laughs> past the other kid and pulls his shirt up over and goes, go! <laughs> and runs around like Ronaldo. That yeah. was like... I mean, there's Dennis in Cabin Fever as well. I mean, not you know, sit next to Dennis. <laughs> I mean, it's been there from the off. It's true. Well, you see it. But, you know, blood stains most people's eyes. They can't yeah. see beyond it. They're like, they get blood in their eyes and that's all they see. But I, see, I always thought they were very, very funny films. Um, but the truth is, I look at the directors like Sam Raimi, Peter mm-hmm. Jackson, look at the mm-hmm. gore in their early films, or Guillermo del Toro, and look at how Raimi and, you know, they went into Lord of the Rings and Spider-Man. So to me, in my mind, the directors that made those insane, violent movies, it's sort of the natural progression is to go on to a PG movie, but something that retains the sensibility yeah. of those guys. And yeah. that's that's what I love. That's the career trajectory I'd like to have. And I felt like I was ready for it and have been ready for it for a long time and thinking of ideas and what to write. And I kept thinking, I was saying, like, God, I would love to find a Time Bandits kind of movie, something that was really, or like an Amblin film. And then, you know, they, they said, we want to relaunch the label and we want this to be the movie to do it. And, you know, I, I had my meeting with Steven Spielberg before and he said, you know, Eli, just he goes, make it scary. Do not be afraid to make it scary. I was like, you don't, you don't tell me that twice. Like, I'll, I'll <laughs> trust me, dude. I will make it scary. So like kids love to be scared. And then um, after he saw the movie, saw the first cut, he's like, Eli, you really did it. He goes, it's not beholden to or mocking of an earlier film. You're not imitating mm-hmm. these other movies, but it really feels authentic. And mm-hmm. it really sits side by side with, it's you are carrying the torch. And that was like the greatest phone call in my career. I couldn't believe it. It's like, wow, I'm really having that moment or Steven Spielberg called me, but to have him call me about an Amblin movie at a moment when there really aren't Amblin movies, when mm. they're bringing the brand back, uh, it was a great honor. Did you tape Black Hole? Do you I play would. it to yourself at, at night? No, but I'll, 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 the great thing about not taping things is I can always add little things that didn't happen in my <laughs> imagination, and it'll just grow and embellish, and I can just make up stuff that he said, and I honestly believe it. That's, that's the beauty about... Not recording things, because you can <laughs> just let True. the story grow, like this little weird seed yeah. of lies. <laughs> so, with that, so the actual phone call was Stephen going, uh, yeah, I saw the movie, Eli. Yeah, it's yeah, good. It was fine. It was good. He was so complimentary. He goes, everything, it's all of a piece. He goes, he said, it's a very assured and confident piece of directing. And everything holds, he goes, the production design, the photography, yeah. the costumes, the acting, they all hold hands together. You really really hit the tone. He's like, it, it, they, they're they calling me like the master of tone around Amblin. They're like, <laughs> well, Eli's the master of tone, so, you know, he's going to... And there's other movies that I, I have at Amblin yeah. to do, and they're like, well, you know, we got Eli, he's the master of tone. He, and I was like, wow, that's re- that's a really cool thing from going to, like, the master of gore or, or decapitation yeah. to tone, because tone is really the toughest thing to nail because it's almost like you need all seven or eight things to be exactly on the same frequency, your production design, your photography, your Mm. costume, your acting, your music. Mm. So, like, everything's got to be in the same weird frequency that you're on. And if Mm. one thing is off, you feel it. So those directors that can really, really nail the tone of a movie, like Del Toro um, or Chris Nolan or those films or or Tarantino, like that that for me, or the Coen brothers... Mm. David Lynch, those are the directors that mm. I always really, really admired. 
Yeah, so we, and, and the shoot was just amazing. I mean, the opportunity with Kate and Jack was just too good to be true. So they were already on board whenever you, you came? No, I came on, and we went to Jack Black first, uh -huh. and we got Jack on, and then we went to Kate, and Kate and I met. And it was funny, because Kate, you know, like, obviously she wants, has to approve me as a director, and it turns out Kate's a huge horror fan. She loves Evil Dead. And she got the script, and... She read it and she loved it and she loved the character and loved the idea of working with Jack. And it was her son, uh, Dash, I think it was like 15 or 16 at the time. And she's, he's like, what is that script? She kind of runs everything by him. He wants to be a director. She's like, what's your opinion? <laughs> and again, she's, she showed it to him. And he's like, oh, this could be really fun, Mom, but who's directing? And she goes, Eli Roth. And he's like, Mom, you got to do it. Eli Roth doing a kid's movie. And she's like, okay, okay, that's what I was thinking. Like, She's like, wow, the director of Hostel doing a kid's movie, what's this going to be like? And then we yeah. met her and we just clicked right away and that was it. She's great, isn't it? And then I had been watching Twin Peaks The Return uh -huh. and I was like, dude, we need Kyle McLaughlin. Like, Kyle, <laughs> Kyle plays five versions of the same character on that show. Yeah. It's just too good on that on Twin Peaks yeah. The Return. Um, and he's never been in makeup before. I was like, let's put him in yeah. full zombie prosthetic. As soon as he had the makeup in and the contacts... Adrian Moreau, our makeup artist, did this incredible design. Kyle started doing the thriller dance, like, right away on set. He was always thriller dancing in his zombie <laughs> makeup. And he was just, he's never played, like, a made-up evil zombie. And he's just, it's like this delicious villain. He's just savoring every moment of just being pure evil. And he's so charming and funny and charismatic and i put like worms coming out of his ears <laughs> while he's making out with colleen camp just really fun stuff like that it's, it's interesting because i've always seen Kyle mclaughlin as this sort of avatar for decency mm -hmm. you know whether it's you know whether it's blue fellow but the way there's there's a bit of corruption there obviously even you know and coop in twin peaks and this character in the hidden for example he's always he has elements of darkness about him, definitely, but there's always this straight down the middle, straight arrow type guy. Oh yeah, and the fact no, that you, you, get, to... you get him doing the stuff he does in this movie is really fun. Well, that's what's fun is that is, is that he's really playing against type. It's yeah. like Kyle McLaughlin. It's a very good way to put it, the avatar of decency because you look to someone who's like Dudley Do Right and who's righteous and good, and he's got be the like chin, the chin and yeah, the hair, yeah. the square jaw. It's like he's like a park ranger you can really <laughs> trust. You know, he's just got that thing about him, and that's him. That's yeah. that's Kyle. He really is just a great, wonderful sweet decent human being and to watch him like but the whole thing is he he just believes he's completely right he fully believes that turning back the clock and wiping out humanity is just the greatest solution for the planet even though he's been corrupted by this demon <laughs> he thinks it's wonderful so we weren't ever having him play like i'm doing something terrible and i'm enjoying yeah. being terrible he's just like don't you get it like this is the solution mm -hmm. and uh, this is great this can be great for all of us like don't be mad why are you guys mad this is this is fantastic. I know. I now know how to do this. I can wipe out humanity, so war will never happen. Yeah. And the way he played it yeah. was someone who just—it's like you can tell his his spirit has been crushed, and he's just got corrupted, and has completely lost his his compass. And that was the fun—is watching him, you know, and him and and you know, with Renee Elise Goldsberry who plays his wife Selena. I was like, you guys aren't evil. You both fully think this is the greatest thing that could happen. Mm. This is going to be wonderful for everybody. And those, I love those villains because yeah. I think most villains are like that. I think most villains feel like, well, everyone just shut up and listen to me because I'm right. We just need to <laughs> blow everything up. Trust me, this is the best way.
Well, the ones who have a point of view, even though they maybe go a bit beyond the limits of sanity, maybe, but uh, you can kind of go, well, he has a point in a way. The world is going to hell in a handbasket, so maybe yeah. we should turn the clock back. Maybe not to the dawn of time. Maybe that's a bit far. Yeah. But you know, maybe to, I don't know, 20 years. Yeah, yeah. 20 years, 30 years, 100 years, whatever. Although I couldn't do without electricity or antibiotics and toilets internet we wouldn't have we wouldn't have podcasts if we went back a hundred years what the hell would I do I don't know man you'd be like chiseling on a stone scribing out your (laughs) you do like your seven words a day (laughs) you do like your daily haiku you just like start chiseling for them a daily haiku I should start doing that uh, what would you do? You say we turned the clock back before the dawn of cinema because you wanted to be a filmmaker, I guess, for a long, long time. Yeah. Like all your life, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you know, as you say there, you're, you're assistant to producer when you're 20 years old. Mm-hmm. You, you, you work for David Lynch when you're young as well. Very early on, you have this tunnel vision that you want to do this. Mm-hmm. That's all gone. What do you do? What's the, what's the alternative? You do like magic lantern stuff. You know, <laughs> you sit there with like a fire and you're dancing. I'd be the guy <laughs> dancing around. It's like in... Which the Mel Brooks no, was it Caveman or no? It's a History of the World. Yeah, where they like I'd be the guy dancing around trying to entertain <laughs> people in the cave, and if people don't laugh, I get fed to the dinosaur. <laughs> so that need to entertain would still be there. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think that storytelling. I've I've read this, been reading this book, uh, Sapiens. Oh yeah, really, yeah. I just bought some, that. Oh, it's amazing. And and they really talk about what made Homo sapiens of the six different species of man which I didn't even know there were six species of man. There's six species of man and what made, what makes sapiens unique, what, what gave Homo sapiens the ability to conquer the world is belief in myths and systems that don't exist. Mm. Whether it's money or government or religion, mm. there's something that doesn't exist and they just say, we are now all going to abide by these set of rules. Yeah. And we're going to tell this myth and this story about the creation of man and we're all just going to believe in it because that's what we all decide to believe in. And that now we're all going to follow this. It's like this, there is a need, there's some biological genetic need to hear stories and to believe in stories, even if you know they're not real. Mm. So I think that, uh, you know, storytelling, look, that's, I always said horror films are fairy tales for adults. And I think that scary movies, like the, the house with the clock, I mean, to me, it's, it's, I want it to be like a filmed version of Grimm's fairy tales, the same kind of experience. Oh, wow. It's it's the only way we need we can kind of process the world, and the randomness and the understanding life and death and also without stories life is pretty damn boring. <laughs> and, and but you know you know what he talks about in Sapiens the need to gossip, oh, and yeah. that that gossiping is your is what you could say. Well, this person was you know there's like a dinosaur down by the river. It's going to eat you like that like that that. The storytelling that if you put more than 150 people in a group, yeah. the way they sort of organize, the way information is passed, mm. the way you can tell who to trust and who not to trust is gossip. And that if you take a bunch of professors and put them together, they're not going to talk about history. They're going to gossip. If you take a bunch of mathematicians and put them together, they're not going to talk about math. They're going to talk about what this one in the department's doing, what that one's <laughs> department's doing. You take a bunch of people at Empire Magazine, they're not going to talk about movies. They're going to talk about, what you see what that one did, what that one... And that's just... That's you've been who, listening. This that's, is really freaky. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's... That, you put a bunch of directors together, they're not going to talk about yeah. movies. They're like, well, this uh, I hate that guy. Uh, she's terrible. Uh, you know, whatever it is, it's gossip. That is who we are. We tell stories. So... Yeah. I think that even if movies didn't exist, I would, I would be a storyteller. Uh, you said uh, a few minutes ago that 
bloodstains people's eyes yeah. in, in terms of perception of you and your career. Sure. And you seem to have made a deliberate, and I know that you consider this movie not to be a departure tonally from your earlier work, but certain people would do. And certainly in this year you had Death Wish and The House with a Clock on Its Walls as well. Neither which I think could be bracketed necessarily with your earlier stuff. Mm-hmm. Is that a deliberate move away from the likes of Captain Fever and Hostel and, and even Knock Knock? And has it been hard to break down people's perceptions of you in Hollywood? Has you know, in terms of even just getting into rooms with people like Steven Spielberg? Well, here's the thing. I don't think of it as moving away from mm. those other films. I just think of it as an evolution of my career and whatever I'm doing. Mm. And with Death Wish, the opportunity came up to direct the movie, and I hadn't done anything like that. And it was a studio movie and working with Bruce Willis. And I said, yeah, I'll do it. And I'm going to do it because I haven't written it, and it's because it's not yeah. like my yeah. other films. And I want to see what that experience is. I don't have to like write, produce, direct, control everything. Let me just get into the system and see how many of my... Can I make a great version? Can I do History of Violence? Can I do Sicario? Can I do something really interesting with the material? Can I come yeah. up with great deaths and great set pieces? And you know, it's came with the ice cream man and seeing the auto <laughs> shop and dropping the car in the head and dropping yeah, yeah. the guy on his head off the balcony and <laughs> the hidden gun and the tactical furniture, all that kind of stuff yeah. that's... You know the the gun commercials, all that's the, yeah, all yeah. of those things that I could bring to it. So you still do your pass. You still you still very much have a go at the script, and the same with this. this oh movie yeah, as yeah, well. for yeah. sure, for yeah. sure. And Cause, cause, I, I worked with uh, Dean Georgeris, uh, and I rewrote um, Death Wish, and then this one. You know, I I go through the whole script with Eric Kripke. And look, Kripke mm-hmm. wrote a fantastic script, but I was like, okay, if you're gonna have it, says in the script, the topiary Griffin comes to life and walks by in the background. I was like, it should walk by and just shit leaves Let's just take a dump <laughs> and it's a huge pile of leaves and they're like that's really funny i was like okay and then what if he does it on the kid and then jack's like bad kitty you know like just just take it to that mel brooks woody allen level of absolute monty python level yeah, yeah. absurdity the killer keep left signs like something that's i remember the killer keep left signs and now for something completely different with the silly police i was just like when they had the, <laughs> when it started with like the gangs of old ladies robbing and it's just like Turns into the kill the the killer the danger keep left signs. I as a kid I was like, my brain exploded. I could, yeah. it was like cut to Death Star. I couldn't even explain <laughs> just that just that someone could think in that direction. I didn't know that direction existed. So that's how I was approaching the movie, and that's that's the fun of making a movie like this. So you know, the, in terms of people's perception of me, to answer your question in a yeah. roundabout way, no, that's good. There's a lot of people that it's they'll like me and go, well, Eli's smart and he knows movies and blah, blah, blah. But everyone is so scared for their job. And the way they hire you is if the movie fails, will I get fired for having chosen Eli as the director? Yeah. They don't think, is Eli the right guy or is this going to be successful or what can he bring to it? Oh, he did these. You know, Death Wish, they're like, okay, we know with Eli the kills are going to be great. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be it. Can, can he do the rest of it? And then they saw the performance from Bruce and the dailies mm-hmm. and they were like, all right, we're good. So Death Wish was like, oh, we finished half a million dollars under budget and on schedule, and Bruce's performance is great, and MGM mm-hmm. loved me. So that gets back, that that word gets around town. Um, and Amblin was already ready to take a chance. We have a project with Jim Carrey, this adaptation of the graphic novel Alistair Arcane. So yes. I had a deal with him, and the, but the script wasn't ready. The writer John Croker was on other things, and he just hadn't finished the script. So this came up, and I was kind of pre-approved by Amblin because Steven Spielberg really likes my movies. Mm. And his kids really like my movies. Again, wow. the kids. 
If you can get the kids to like your movies, <laughs> the kids are teenagers in their twenties, and then they like them, and they yeah. tell the parents. It's really that. That's that's, that's kind of that's my in. That's Can't amazing. be like, do you want to be Eli? No, it's like the kids are like, we like Eli's movie. He's got the parents are like, yeah, okay, because parents want to seem cool to their kids. So that's no, but amazing. Steve and Steve and I had heard loved Hostel and was really a, a horror movie fan and, and knew me and certainly knew me from Inglorious Bastards and so that's what's interesting is that like they know me as an actor and they know me you know like. They're just like, why is he really into chopping people up? But then they meet me, and and I've been on everyone's radar, uh-huh. but it just takes a studio like Amblin to have the guts to pull the trigger to go, yeah, you know what, we're backing this guy 100%. You mentioned Bruce Willis there, and getting a performance out of Bruce Willis, because mm-hmm. I think we've probably all heard stories about how sometimes it can be difficult to maybe to get Bruce to engage with material, or we've heard the horror stories of Kevin Smith told about Cop Out. How did you crack the nut that is Bruce Willis? Well, I think part of with Bruce is surrounding him with people that he really likes and trusts from assistant director to his makeup artist to his co-producer, Steven. And I met with all these guys and I'm like, where did it go wrong with Kevin Smith? And they're like, well, Kevin directed him over the walkie and Bruce got mad because he felt embarrassed. And Kevin should have put down the walkie, stopped, gone over to him and talked to him. Because for whatever reason, it set Bruce off. So I was like, okay, that's good. It's like, if you want to direct Bruce, don't yell at him across the room because he's like, it just, it suddenly puts him in a different, it's almost like puts him on the defensive. Mm. So you just, you sort of know he's coming from that place and you start there. And then it's also keeping him engaged. You know, Roger Berman, my producer, had done Unbreakable with him Mm. and he was president of Fox when they made Die Hard. So they go back a long time and it's just, uh, also, we cast Vince D'Onofrio, who's an old friend of his, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Dean Norris and Elizabeth Shue, you know, people that he really liked, and really just making sure that he knew that I was there for him and that I wasn't going to judge him if he was exhausted or in a mood, because he's, you know, he's an older guy, so he's not going to have the energy that he did of 20 years ago. Um, but I thought he was great. Like, mm-hmm. he really showed mm-hmm. up, and, he, and we just wanted the movie to be good. And if if he's in a mood, you just understand it's going to pass and you don't take it personal. And you just go, yeah, no, I hear you, dude. Let's go. We got it. No problem. Mm. All right, let's shoot. Just be completely unflappable. And I think that where directors get into trouble is they try to match, you know, the level of anger. And also the, the other thing is that when you make a decision, if if an actor is kind of like testing going, I don't think so. I don't think like you really, really got to make a decision and don't back off of it. Mm. And that, like, because if you start being wishy-washy, then the actors don't trust you. Yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah no, no, you got to do it this, you got to do it this way. I don't want to do it. Yeah, you're right. Then the actors lose confidence. Mm. So you just have to be like, I, I hear you, man. Let's, let's just do it. Just trust me. It's going to be great. You know, you just make a decision, stick to it. Mm. When they're looking in the eye and going, no, you go, I got to tell you, I think this is going to be great. No, let's just try it. Let's just try it. You just don't, you just don't stop. So we also, there was a level of respect. He liked me and he thought the movie was looking good. Mm. Um, and he knew I was on his side. So, you know, I, I heard the same thing about Russell Crowe. People were like, oh, Russell's really difficult. I had the best time with Russell on Man mm. with the Iron Fists. I was like, I don't know what person you met, but like this guy has ideas and he'll, he'll challenge you and challenge the script, but it's all coming from a good place. Yeah. And just don't, if he's like, in a mood, don't take it personally. But I, I like it was easy. We had fun. It was just we we had a great time making that movie. And the other thing is that the, look, I got to tell you, Inglorious Bastards 
that role earned a lot of respect from other actors. Uh-huh. Now, I'm not saying that it was the Oscar-winning performance, but it's like they knew what I did to do it, and they knew what it took to do it, and they knew that I sort of survived, went through that fire. And that having worked with Tarantino, they they know that I understand where they're coming from. Mm. So it's respect in the level of, yeah, you did a role that was physically challenging. You transformed yourself. You did it for Tarantino. You were there with Pitt and Christoph Waltz and Melanie Laurent and Diane. Like, there's just a level of respect you get from another actor. You're not some director telling them what to do. Like, you get it. You've been there for six months on set, waiting in your trailer, showing up, being outside and freezing. Four in the morning, you're exhausted, acting like you're wide awake. Like, they know you understand that. And that, for me, is really one of the greatest benefits of having done that film, is it is so many people's like favorite movie or in their f- favorite films that the fact that I had that experience sort of earns a level of yeah, you walk the walk. Like you're not you're not just saying I understand acting. Like you know how to do it and you get what I'm going through. Mm. And what I'm asking them is coming from a place of I understand what it takes to do this. And uh, you're in the house with Clockman's Walls I as am. well, uh, Comrade. Uh, lovely, Ivan. yeah, lovely extended cameo uh, there as well. Is 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 acting more in your future? Uh, if I get to do bad 1950s <laughs> serial overacting, I would do it all day. Yeah. Eyebrow acting. I thought, wow, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna out eyebrow act Jack Black in the scene. That's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> How gonna, the hell do you do that? I'm gonna make Jack Black look subtle. Watch this. <laughs> but you know, Jack is actually a very subtle actor. If you watch Bernie. Yeah, His performance is brilliant. Yeah. And Kate had seen Bernie. You know, I think that I think that Jack is our generation's Robin Williams. Yeah. And you look at Dead Poets, Awakenings, Goodwill Hunting, you know, he's an Oscar winning, and then Mrs. Doubtfire and Jumanji at the same time. That's Jack. Jack has that range. And Kate is way goofier than anyone realizes. She's very, very funny and has an incredible sense of humor about mm. herself, about acting. So we all know she's like our Meryl Streep. Or, you know, she's like, it's like there's Meryl Streep, Judy Dench. It's like maybe three or four actors in the world in the class. of. There's only one Kate Blanchett. There's nobody like her. And she just hasn't done a role like this. So it's she's really, really, really funny. So she was ready to show that side. So I think that Jack brought out the best comedy from Kate and Kate brought mm. out the best drama from Jack. Yes. And they both really, really respected each other mm. and let each other, really like, supported each other. It was pure love on set so they could really, like, let the insults fly, have fun <laughs> with the silly physical comedy. Yeah. Uh, glad to go, but uh, what's next? I made a seven-part documentary on the history of horror movies. That's going to air on the AMC network. Amazing. It's called Eli Roth's History of Horror. It's awesome. We we got, like, 100 interviews. Tippi Hedren, Stephen King, Tarantino, Jordan Peele. Stuart Gordon, Rob Zombie, Slash, like all these people came in. Greg Nicotero, like, wow. It really turned out great. We had different subjects. There's, you know, Slashers, part one and two, and Killer Creatures, Ghosts, Demons, Zombies. We do Edgar from Zombie Movies. It's really, really fun. So that's going to start airing on the AMC network in the middle of October after Walking Dead. Amazing. Uh, Do you think we'll get it over here? You should get it over here. I mean, the plan is for it to be worldwide, so... Fantastic. better it's fun it's like i wanted to do that definitive thing for horror fans like try yeah. and really do a definitive history of the genre uh-huh. that you could like just have there no one had really cataloged the genre like that so i was very lucky amc supported us and we got these incredible interviews and it's just fun talking horror with all the super geeks 
I will let you go. And maybe you'll come back. Uh, I don't know if you're going to be coming across for that, but next time you're back, feel free to come back on the Empire Podcast. There's an open invitation always. And there's an open invitation for you to play a drunk guy on a stag night <laughs> in any of my films. <laughs> Seagulls of the House, the clock in its walls. You show up, 1950s clothes. It's like Stan's, you know, father. The prequel to Stan's life. <laughs> How Stan came into existence. Can you believe that's my only IMDb credit? Can you believe people saw that film and haven't just cast me and everything? It's shameful, Chris. It's jealousy. It's jealousy <laughs> is what I see. It is. One and done. It's disgusting. Disgusting. Eli Roth, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you so much Thanks, indeed. Chris. Eli Roth there. We will talk about the house with the clock on its walls later on in the reviews section. Uh, first up, it's time to talk about movie news and... Has the, has the Avengers 4 title been released while we're doing this? Have they announced well, if we look closely at the, at the picture that the Russo brothers posted last night, the theory goes that the answer is there somewhere. Yeah. The theory is probably bull. I scrutinised that picture and all I could see was something that looked like the miniaturizer from Ant-Man in the corner. It feels like there's a lot of shapes that could form the letter A. <laughs> so someone was suggesting Avengers. Ah! Someone else involving a lot of wishful thinking and a, and a huge amount of extrapolation has found Endgame uh-huh. in in the in the image. I don't think it's there, but I, that would be a good title. I would watch that. I mean, I'll watch it. I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> Even if on. it was called Helen, don't watch this. I think I'd be Avengers colon Helen, don't watch this. Yeah, I'm, I'm there. Yeah, anyway, so, so, so this is uh, this is an image of the Russo brothers released last night. You probably have seen it. It's black and white. It's got Joe Russo, not Anthony. Where's Anthony taking the picture? Where is he? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> or wait, there's two of them. Half the universe is dead. Yes. Oh my god, <gasps> he's been dusted. Spoiler. Uh, yeah, spoiler alert. Uh, by the way, so it's Joe Russo sitting on a, on a soundstage because we know they're doing additional shooting right now to finish Avengers Four, which is out next year, and. Squeak. And the the caption is look hard, look hard, and I I tried, I tried, but I'm impossible, is incapable of looking hard. Look at me, and uh, what? No, I meant in a sort oh, of I muscular see, yeah, way, yeah. not in a sexual way. And yeah. I can't find anything. And people are reading a lot into this, but uh, we shall see. The, mm. the title may be released today, may be released. It'll certainly be released before this podcast is up. So yeah. if you hear a scream <laughs> of frustration, or the second the podcast is up, yeah. They'll release the title, so you'll hear a scream of frustration. Rest- ah, a, a scream, scream of crustaceans. Of- scream. <laughs> not, not unlike the millions of oysters that cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced. Or like the so. six squid alert, my friends. <laughs> Squids are crustaceans, right? Sure, why not? Yeah. We're just, I mean, they're all, oh, all sea creatures of the same. We've just established <laughs> this. <laughs> this is why I mean, was- an oyster's a mollusk, but who cares? <laughs> this is why it was asked to leave Bubba Gump. <laughs> Helen and I heard some news in the lift while we were coming up to record the podcast. Oh, Congratulations. Did, yeah. Thanks, yeah. We heard that they have cast, or cast, they've selected the new Bond director, and it's Carrie Fukunaga. Yeah, you remember... Who wasn't remember, on the shortlist. You may remember the shortlist from last Hang week. On. That's so, out the window. What? Yeah, Carrie Fukunaga will be directing yeah. Bond 25. <laughs> Chris immediately heads to Google. Uh, yeah, this is, this is actually a fact. So straight off the back of Maniac, which drops on Netflix tomorrow, he's yes. got another job. Yeah, that's a major uh, Netflix PR coup, isn't it? Yeah, it is. They're really (laughs) pulling the strings on this one. (laughs) Holy shit. Yeah, this is actually a thing. Why do we not leave with this? <laughs> we, we probably should. Why were you, well, well, you just we let me drone you, on about the picture of a man thought, on the soundstage? We thought you knew. Yeah. We yeah. assumed you'd know. Well, I mean, we, you got here up. after us. Yeah, that's so. true. That's true. You had precious seconds that we didn't saying. have. I wasn't checking my Twitter. Wow. Okay, well, that's the thing. You weren't checking empireonline.com, where it's the lead story this morning. Oh, listen to you, <laughs> burying the lead. <laughs> <over there. laughs> 
fucking Woodward and Bernstein over here. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, well, yes. funny you should mention Bernstein because he had a film in production or in pre-production about Leonard Bernstein, yeah. of course, um, called The American, with Jake Gyllenhaal lined up to star in that. So that's presumably on the back burner. Everything is presumably on the back burner right now. He mm. probably he presumably dives straight into Pinewood and doesn't come out for a year. And added to that, Woodward has just written a new book about James Bond. So, <laughs> you know, it's good. This is, I have to say, yeah. brilliant news. I think he is fantastic. And Helen, I think we can both agree. Yes, I know. The, fit the, Directors. The great unwritten feature oh of my, my time at Empire, Fit Directors, I mean, he is a nailed on... I have spent my entire professional career doing yeah. one thing, and that is stopping you two from publishing <laughs> that feature. That is all I am here for. He's a stone cold He is a stone cold hottie. fox. He is a hottie. Yeah. I'm, I'm seriously, James, come on. But Helen admires him for his directing skills. Yes, I do. Which are considerable. His Jane Eyre is actually very good. Obviously, mm. Beast of No Nation yep. uh, is one of his. Yep. Uh, and True wait, Detective Season 1. True Detective Season 1, the good season. That. The good season, yes. And he's very, very good. And, of course, he was a director on It. And then he left that project. He and did. there were there were, there were rumoured creative differences that, you know, that he had his vision and he, and he was uncompromising about his vision and so left. And so with that in mind, it seems a strange fit to go and do a Bond film mm. where you are very much, I mean, you are the director. The directors get to direct these movies. That's, that's not be under any illusions about that. But you're also a cog in the wheel there. So has he had reassurances? Because yeah. he's clearly a guy who knows what he wants, but he's got a great eye. Two of them, am I right, Yay. Helen? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, because he's not, a great filmmaker. Because he's a great filmmaker. He's a wonderful filmmaker, and we should not objectify this stone-cold fox of a man. It is unusual to have, but it is genuinely unusual to have a director of a Bond movie who is younger than and hotter than <laughs> his leading man. So, I mean, I think it's worthy of comment. Maybe he's just the new Bond. Yeah, maybe they'll swap. Do you know what? I mean, I, th- I believe Daniel Craig could direct. I believe yeah, Carrie mm-hmm. Fukunaga could play a decent Bond. So maybe that's that's the way it's going to go. Who Based knows? on absolutely, absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. I like it. Just a, just a feeling. I've no, seen a picture of him in a suit. And apparently that's all it takes for someone to have rumours about being the next Bond. So... Mm. Mm. No, okay. literally, any British actor who plays a role where he wears a suit, mm-hmm. there's suddenly room. I mean, there's Richard rumors Madden about Richard Madden, moment. for God's yeah. sake. Come on. Oh, really? Because yeah. of Bodyguard? Because, because bodyguard. of Bodyguard. Okay. Uh, Incidentally, I've seen the final episode. Have you? Just putting that out there. And? Couldn't possibly tell you. But you can find out on the Pilot TV podcast. Oh. <laughs> really, can we? <laughs> yes, you can. You discuss it on the we'll, Pilot TV podcast. We will be talking podcast. about it in next week's podcast, yes. After the final episode is aired. Yes. So what's we're, the point? We're cutting edge that way. <laughs> we try and avoid spoilers wherever possible. And there you go. So, yeah, uh, yeah James Little Fanzine Pilot now has a <laughs> has a podcast. We do. I can't, and um, I can't help but notice I'm not on this podcast. <laughs> Me either. Uh, I, yeah. I'd also noticed that, yes. Yeah. So... <laughs> Two questions. <laughs> what the fuck? And uh, B, when are you going to rectify this? It is me, uh, Terry White, and TV's Boyd Hilton uh, banging on about the telly. And you are welcome <laughs> on it any time. All right. Well, that's a dangerous Ooh. invitation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about Great British Menu, shall we? Oh, God. Oh, Master Chef, The Rivals. Why on earth are you not on this, Chris? Yeah. I feel like you've answered your question. Yeah. It's, uh, Damn right. it. Blue Bloods and Upstar Crow need your champion. <laughs> And that champion is me. Yes, anyway, back to Gary Fukunaga. This is a really good choice. Yes. Uh, I was quite happy with the shortlist that we talked about in the live podcast, which was S.J. Clarkson and Bart Layton and 
Denny, no, what's his name? Um, Jan Demange. Jan Demange. Not Demange for the job. <laughs> and uh, But yeah, this is a really good a left field choice and that's hope that he stays the course. And the film is now being pushed back a little bit. It is going to be out in February 2020. So there you go. Okay, it gives him a few extra months, I suppose. And we should also mention, while we're on the subject of Bond, mm. that as predicted, slightly in a humorous fashion, but it is happening, that uh, Purvis and Wade are coming back to write a, certainly a draft of the screenplay. So it's Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, and they have been the writers on every Bond film since The World Is Not Enough. And they get a lot of shit thrown at them from the, the Bond fan community because they've been on every Bond film, so they've been on some <laughs> absolute stinkers. But I say if you have to give, you know, give them the credit for the good ones as well, guys. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they clearly there's something that clicks with them and Daniel Craig and Barbara Broccoli and Eon and Michael G. Wilson. So they clearly know their stuff. And I think they're also, we had them on the uh, Skyfall spoiler special. They're smart guys. They know they're Bond inside out. And they're as interested as anybody in pushing against the confines of Bond. Helen knows what I'm talking about. I do, because I find the confines of Bond confining. Um, <laughs> but no, I think, I, I think you, you, can't, you can't say that they're bad because they've written the, the ones you like as well. So, you know. Precisely. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Also, they're, they are very smart. I went to the, a talk they gave once and... Uh, I don't know why it was about Bond, but it was really interesting and they were very, very good speakers. So, hey-ho. Hey uh, so, uh, I mean, yeah, Bond's happening. So, great. <laughs> Bond's happening. Yay. What else is happening in the world of movie news this week? Well, there was a trailer out this week. Was there? I, yeah. I, I heard notice. a rumour. I mean, I didn't watch it, obviously, because who really wants to see the Captain Marvel trailer? Stan and Ollie had a trailer. <laughs> Stan, which is a great trailer. Also Haunting good. of Hill Highs, fabulous trailer. But let's talk about Captain Marvel. It had Blockbuster in it. It I've not seen one of those in ages. Guys, it was... was, mm. The trailer was good, but I have to say that I counted the number of lines that Sam Jackson has in the trailer. And he has more lines than Brie Larson. All his lines are about Brie Larson, but, you know. (laughs) Yeah, look, it's very, very common trailer practice to have a supporting character with a good voice saying some things which yeah. are portentous in some way uh, and may or may not elucidate the plot. Uh, for my money, <laughs> the, the plot has been barely elucidated by this trailer. It is no, I don't know what's going on. giving a huge amount away. I mean, it, it, we're excited to see Skrulls, one of them presumably uh, masquerading as a sweet yeah. little old lady. Oh, I heard not. I heard basically she wouldn't give up a seat and Brie was like, <laughs> fuck you! Well, I mean, that's fair. I'm not sure why she should have given up her seat. But anyway. Yes, uh, give up your seat, old lady. I'm a superhero. I'm a movie star. I would genuinely love if Marvel, 21 films into their cycle, just said, fuck it. Right. We're going to introduce Captain Marvel and she's going to go around public transport punching old ladies in the face if they don't give up their seat. And that's the movie. I would, yes, yes I'd be all over that. Uh, of course not. The Emperor podcast does not, not condone no, violence, especially not. towards the elderly. Or scrolls. Or Well, no, we, well, we no, do condone towards okay scrolls. Okay yeah. yeah. um, racist. No, that's specious. No, oh, sorry. You're specious. <laughs> no, you're specious. Uh, they are a bit like dark elves with funny chins. I did that. that my one shot of the scroll. I thought, oh, really? Okay, yeah. but, but also they are... Shapeshifters. There you go. Yes. So that's and them. also, Ben Mendelsohn. And also Ben Mendelsohn. Wait, yes. Ben Mendelsohn's a scroll. Yes, he always has been apparently. Oh. Even in even in Rogue One. Wow. So there's a lot to digest in this Captain Marvel trailer. It, it, I thought it went down really really well on the internet. Then I saw just a proliferation of awful think pieces uh, in publications I won't mention uh, right now about you know should superheroes punch old ladies in the yes, faces yes, they and, and uh, should. 
uh, de-aging. Why, why are you de-aging Sam Jackson? Well, it takes place kind of 20 years before everything else, guys. So they kind of have to do that. And, and in, in Sam Jackson's case, he doesn't even have, you know, an enormous mop of hair like Kurt Russell's where you can hide all of the strings you're using to pull his face straight. So, <laughs> you know. He, the man has not aged. They basically just wrote, we're going to de-age you, take off the eye patch, and we're done! <laughs> yeah. Essentially, but uh, I I think it, I, I'm obviously in the bag for this one. But I, I was very very excited and may have watched it four times she on a looks loop. Awesome. Also, you've got to love the her o yeah. thing at yes. the end. It's mm-hmm. it's very. Cool. I mean, yeah. it's only twenty films in, but oh, never <laughs> still, mind. It's fine. Still. It's, Mm-hmm. My theory is that whoever wrote the piece about why superheroes shouldn't punch old ladies is actually a scroll. It's yeah. like pro scroll propaganda. Well, I mean, it was it was a fairly easy way to see who on Twitter mm-hmm. had a clue about the scrolls for one. Yeah. Because anybody going, oh my god, she punches an old lady, you know, probably hadn't read so many comics, and that's mm-hmm. fine. I I completely accept that not everybody reads the comics, yeah. but um, but maybe just just. Just By Google, th- hold on a minute. Who, who do you think is a real Skrull? Like, who, who has infiltrated Hollywood? Who are Skrulls? So we, we should probably establish something here as well. So there's a Captain Marvel trailer, and it's really, really good, and it sets out the idea that uh, Carol Danvers is... She comes to Earth, and uh, she's from Earth, but mm. she doesn't start this movie on Earth, and she comes to Earth and is told by a younger Nick Fury that you know she's a renegade soldier and she will help tip the balances in this this war that's going on between the Kree, who we've seen previously in the Marvel movies, yep. uh, personified by the likes of Ronan the Accuser. Who we glimpsed. Uh, yes, we do. Yeah, we do a glimpse. single shot of him. Lee Pace and uh, and the Skrulls. Now, the Skrulls are shape-shifting aliens from the comic books. There's a huge uh, storyline through all. They've been around since the 60s, and they can assume the form of anybody they want, and some of them can even assume the powers of people who, whose identities they usurp. And there's a, a Marvel crossover called Secret Invasion. Uh, in which it is revealed that many heroes in the Marvel mm-hmm. Universe have been scrolls for some time and it's filled with paranoia and I do feel that's where they're going. I feel it's where they're mm-hmm. going to go post-Avengers 4. There may even be a hint of that in Avengers 4 but there's uh, there's a reason why they're doing the scrolls now. So, if that's the case and if it turns out that some of the heroes we've been rooting for for the last few years have been scrolls, do you think they're going to go for some of the big guns or do you think it's going to be, you know, Quicksilver and people like that? I think Cap is a scroll, but not his beard. How dare you? <laughs> Sharon Carter's not in. <laughs> <laughs> Sharon Carter's a scroll, though. No doubt about it. I think it's going to be a scroll. He's got the chin. Ooh. Yeah, the big bollocks chin. <laughs> I think this is a really tricky one because over 20 films, people have built up a real relationship with these characters and as much as it would be a big... Thank you for acknowledging the reality of my relationship. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But the... I I think it's going to be a really tricky balancing act. I trust Marvel. They've pulled off all the big moves so far, but I think this could be their biggest shift yet in asking audiences Mm. to kind of accept the fact that some of these heroes who have been doing outwardly heroic things through these films... Are also double agents that's going to be a really big yeah that can it can really mess up the timeline mm-hmm. and there's let's be honest there's no room to mess up that timeline any further um <laughs> so i would i would hope mm-hmm. that they wouldn't actually mess too much with the very well established names and that they would confine themselves a little bit further down the list do you think it will be people like nick fury who is orchestrating everybody but then it means that that maybe the heroes themselves aren't scrolls could be could be yeah but um I guess we'll see. I don't know. It's going to be exciting times anyway. But I, as a first trailer, I thought this was a really, really good um, look at the 
movie. So let's move on uh, to talk about something else that came out this week that was Marvel related, which is quite interesting, which is that Disney has this new streaming service, which they're planning to launch next year, and they're planning to launch it as a rival to the likes of Amazon Prime, Netflix, and the new services are going to be coming from Apple, who are dipping their, their toes in that world as well, in the States, CBS, All Access, Hulu, all those things. They've got the Star Wars live action TV show, that's going to be a big part of that as well. Yeah. And they also seem to be going down the live-action MCU route as well. And there was uh, interesting talk this week that they would be launching two, some MCU supporting characters would be getting their own shows. And they would be leading off with Loki and Scarlet Witch. And that this won't involve recasting. That Tom Hiddleston and Elizabeth Olsen are expected to reprise their roles. And also, and this is very different for TV, Kevin Feige is going to be involved. Yeah, which I think is a good thing because I think the idea with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. starting off was that they'd be quite closely tied in and, and big Everything's events... Everything's connected. Big events have crossed over, you know, they, they keep referring in this... I'm catching up at the moment, they've been referring to Ultron, they've been referring to the Sokovia Accords, that kind of thing. So it's it's kind of fun that that exists, but at the same time you want a little bit more back and forth and I think as if if Kevin Feige gets a bit more involved in the TV then you, you open the door to that potentially and I think that's really good. The, the big problem of course is, is just practicalities. In terms of going back and forth on a regular basis that involves production scheduling of another magnitude like that is incredibly difficult to do um, and also if you know at the moment we don't know when where how these are going to be set we don't know what you know how they deal with certain facts of life. Vis-a-vis the current status of two of those characters in Indeed. the MCU currently. Indeed, for example. Okay. So uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what what they do, how they deal with that, and you know what their approach is. But, I mean, it's exciting. Any yeah. more, more Loki is always a good thing. I yeah, I, mean, I thought that, uh, that Tom Hiddleston had uh, finished with that character. Perhaps he thought he had as well, but it uh, looks like he's back. They can, of course, set them in different time frames. Yeah. Or they can continue on past Avengers 4 because we have nary a clue what's going to happen in that film. They might. I mean, there have been, there was a, a story in the comic where Loki was de-aged uh, to his teenage years. Yes. He actually ended up uh, hanging out with Kamala Khan for a bit. Yes. Timothy Chalamet. Like that. Get Chalamet in there. Timothy Chalamet mm. is a, a young, young Loki. Loki. You're such a millennial, my God. <laughs> you really are. <laughs> Don't tell me that isn't something you'd like to see. I think he could be good, but no, like there, there's, only, there's only one Loki. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think Chalamet's great, but I don't think he's Loki, no. necessarily. Hiddleston all the way. But yeah, that's very, very interesting stuff. And just think of them, I guess, as limited edition runs of comics, but just on a small screen. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. that works. So this could as well. Yeah. Um, there's, there was news of another Marvel TV show as well. Um, and oh, uh, rumored okay. ABC uh, show that would involve, they think, a team of female superheroes, although apparently it's a bit under wraps and they're not Ooh. quite sure of that. I don't know any of this stuff. They, you've, you blindsided me with the Karen Fukunaga news and now this. It's amazing. It's on the Empire website, Chris. I, who reads that? I mean, no, because I did the Alexa thing this morning and those bits, those two bits hadn't uh, broken. Okay. So, yeah, well done. Well done, everybody. Always hot on the scoops. <laughs> Listen, it's the first thing in the morning. <laughs> By the way, uh, we should tell people how they can access this Alexa thing. Yes, James, because if you I... want to know none of the latest news and stuff that broke last night, then ask your Alexa. No, tell... it was current as of 8 o'clock, you absolute bellend. Tell people how they can listen to the Alexa. Uh, if you thing. have an Alexa, you will know that you can download skills for your Alexa, which is not young person speak for a good thing. I think I've said that before. But it's uh, they're the little, little apps you can download to make it do clever things. And we have an empire skill, which means when you ask for a news update and you set it up, you can hear Chris's dulcet tones telling you what happened yesterday in film news. 
<laughs> yeah, it's up to the last minute news. It really is. What do you say? Do you say, show me the news, Alexa, yeah. give me news? What's the news? Tell me the news. Give me the news briefing. Okay, interesting. Yes. So there you go. I have no idea how to do this sort of stuff. Or just like, computer, give me a bell end. And then, <laughs> and then you'll come on. That's a whole different website, Jimbo. <laughs> Uh, but I did talk about Space Jam too, and, and Ben, I can tell, is massively excited. Yeah, I, I think if you grew up in the 90s, it's impossible not to be excited about Space Jam 2. It's a film that I could, the first film I could never have any sort of genuine critical feelings of because it's just, it's pure nostalgia. It's the Looney Tunes, it's like, it's unexpected Bill Murray. I, I always forget that Bill Murray's in that film. The best kind of Bill Murray. Yeah, I, I was So yeah, basically there's going to be Space Jam 2, LeBron James is going to be the sports star at the centre of it. Uh, Bugs Bunny's back, apparently he's... How did they, they get him? Yeah, who knows, who knows. They probably had to do a lot of contract wrangling with him. If they, uh, they de-aged him. <laughs> you never know, you never know. Make that tail extra fluffy. And yeah, uh, exciting news that uh, producing this is going to be Ryan Coogler, which is... Great shout. Ryan Coogler contributing to yeah. Space Jam 2. Yeah. Using this Black Panther clout, I think. Mm-hmm. They're going, what do I want to do next? I want to see Daffy Dot playing basketball. Precisely. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? And so the director of this one's going to be uh, Terence Nance, who has a couple of smaller films under his belt. So it seems like, again, Ryan Coogler using his clout to kind of help other filmmakers get onto these bigger projects. Uh, my main thing, on the subject of the unexpected Bill Murray... Seeing as Jeff Goldblum is well into the Bill Murray stage of his career, can we get Goldblum in this one? Here's my question. Surely we need Michael B. Jordan, because Michael A. Jordan was in the last one, and I'm Ryan Coogler. So they had Michael, a Jordan. Yeah, and now we have Michael B. Jordan. Jordan. Yeah, this is great. If I was Michael Carl Jordan, I'd be like getting (laughs) so excited right now. This is it, this is it. But big break's happening. I've never seen Space Jam. What? Oh, I mean, you've missed out on a thing that happened. What year did it come out? 1996. Oh, really that early? I mean, I was at university. (laughs) Really, this is too depressing for words. It looked terrible at the time, and I gave it a swerve. Yeah. I think I'm pretty certain I watched it in my student house with a bunch of other students. (laughs) I I don't have fond memories of it. (laughs) You don't have fond memories of anything involving other people. (laughs) I mean, that's true. (laughs) Anyway, we're very excited about that. I will try at some point to watch Space Jam and I will report back. Is that it? Any other bits of news? Are we good? Amazon's doing an Avatar The Last Airbender series, uh-huh. which apparently is very exciting. Live um, action? Live action. Live action. The yes. first live action ad- adaptation of that that <laughs> yeah. there has ever, ever been. Yeah. Never another. First one. Well, didn't the showrunners say something very pointed about the representation of the cast in their statement? That they might be not yeah. white? Not, I think they actually used the word non-whitewashed. Mm. Uh, so that's good to see, and they're, they're the original creators as well. The, the Avatar, Avatar: The Last Airbender is a is a really good series. It's, there you go. It is worth mm-hmm. watching. All right, I'll schedule it uh, behind Space Jam in my viewing wow. this weekend. Sure, it's a very right. long series. It'll take you longer. Lots of movie news there, and it's time now for our second and final guest this week, another returnee to the pod booth. Uh, he is Paul Figg, who is one of the best directors of comedy in Hollywood. Uh, has directed the likes of Bridesmaids and Spy. Well, listen, you'll hear it in my big introduction with him anyway, but uh, his movie this week is a comedy thriller. He's changing up slightly. It is A Simple Favour, which stars Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively, and is a twisty, turny thing. And also, our current spirit animal, Henry Golding is in it also, and that's actually how we started off the interview. Oh, we neglected to mention, actually, that Henry Golding and 
Amelia Clark, while we're talking about movie news, are, have signed on this week to star in Paul Feig's new movie, Last Christmas. We talk about that movie in the uh, interview, but he, he declined to tell me who was starring in it because the deals hadn't closed yet. So, thanks a bunch, Paul Feig. Here you go. It could, be, it could have scooped me. I could have had a scoop. That would have been out two days after the news was announced. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, so here we go. Paul Fig. Uh, I had a lot of fun doing this as well, so I hope you guys do too. Enjoy. I'll give you a big introduction and away we go. Wow, here we go. <laughs> Excellent. You're going to love this big introduction. Yeah, It's ready. basically just me saying your name. Oh, good. Perfect. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I love that's, it. That's what you Hollywood types like, isn't it? Yeah. People saying your name? Yes. Is it true you hired someone just to say your name over yes, and over again? exactly. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> um, we're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the director of A Simple Favour, Mr. Paul Fig. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm very good, thank Yes, you. thank you for that wonderful introduction. Did you like it? I did. I did. I feel like feel... it encompassed my entire career. <laughs> I feel like I undersold you somewhat. No, no, no. I think you oversold me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it was accurate. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> you so you could have gone with my middle name also, but you chose to be more colloquial. Well... Well, that's safer for the sake of saying that I, I'm not aware of your middle name. Oh, how dare you? <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'm I'd like to do out. research, Paul, but <laughs> I draw a line somewhere. There you go. <laughs> what is your middle name? Uh, I'm not telling you. <laughs> no, it is Samuel. 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 Yes, Paul Samuel Fig. Well, I've, go. I've got to do it again now. <laughs> I've got to start again. <laughs> don't don't I've got, you no, dare. Got to start don't again. you dare. All right, let's hear it. What do you got? <laughs> Tee it up, tee it up. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by a comedy legend. Perhaps ah. the most dapper man in Hollywood. Well he is done. the director of Bridesmaids, Keep The Heat, yep. Spy, Ghostbusters, yep. and now A Simple Favour. Wow. You know him as Paul Feig, but I know him as my dear friend, Paul Samuel Feig. How are you, sir? Oh my gosh, that was fantastic. <laughs> I'm going to leave now. It's all over. That's it. Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks I'm for sure. coming in. Thank you. Always, it's always so much fun to be here. Have you been to Salvaro yet? You're looking incredibly well-dressed again. Thank you. I have to go this afternoon, actually. I really? Go. Yes, I got some fittings. Uh, I got a few things in the works, so uh, I have to get my second and third fitting on a few things. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, that's how we do it. Have you heard of Marks and Spencer, Paul? Because <laughs> Yes, I have. I get underwear at Marks and Spencer. <laughs> well, there you go. And socks. <laughs> they do excellent suits. They do. Off the peg. Yes. Two hundred quid. There you go. So I've actually I have had uh, Marks and M and S M and yeah M and S suits in the past. Okay, I'm Thanks. trying to sound colloquial. <laughs> <laughs> you like that? Like a, like a London insider. Look at me. Look at me with my Brit references. M and S. But no, no, go to Savile Row. It's fine. It's totally fine. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's all good. You can, you, know, you can afford it. You might as well go for it, right? Well, barely. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing I can is spend it, my money on. Really, is it going to be like, oh, Mister Fig, about your bill, and you go, yeah. the, the next one. I'll be back. It's, it's coming. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'll get you. I'll get you guys on the back. Mike, because I was going to take you down the Henry Golding for Bond route. Ah. And then you turn up looking like that, and there can only be one contender. Yeah, yeah well, it's Paul Feig for Bond. Yes. <laughs> or Money Penny, at least. <laughs> I'll be Henry's Money Penny if I can. <laughs> uh, we've been not not relentlessly talking about it on the podcast, but we saw, we saw Henry in Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. And we came out of it going... Henry Golding. I'm. Uh, I'm not saying a word, but uh, but I, yeah. uh, I, I I I support it. <laughs> he's fantastic. I mean, I, he's the nicest guy in the world. He's he's easy on the eyes. He's um, yeah. easy on the on the brain because he's just so lovely to work with, mm. and he's cool. And he, nobody looks better in a suit than him <laughs> in a tux. He rocks a tux like I've yeah. never seen. He's pretty much he's pretty much got it all going on. Yeah, really. he uh, does. Where did you discover him? Uh, well, it was because. When I was casting uh, Simple Favor, 
Uh, I was trying to figure out who to cast in this role, and my wife is a huge fan of the Crazy Rich Asian books, and uh, she had just she had, you know heard that uh, that they had discovered some you know unknown guy for the role of Nick, and um, and she was like, you should look into who that is, and uh, so I looked him up online, and he had you know he had just finished shooting Crazy Rich Asians like two weeks before they just wrapped production, but I went online and he hosts uh, you're used to host a travel show. Um, in Asia for the BBC. And I just like, this guy is so charismatic and funny and handsome. And I mean, I've never seen anything like it. And so I, uh, I Skyped with him and then I called up John Chu, who directed Crazy Rich, mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. said, can he act? And John's like, oh my God. He said, he's the best. He's new, but he's, he's a natural talent and he's, he just loves to take direction and anything. And so I did a bunch of... Uh, Auditions and screen tests with him, just to you know. The, obviously, the studio didn't know who he they was going, at the what moment. The fuck? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> who is he? Now they're very happy, <laughs> very happy. And I literally could not have had a better time with the man. He is just a joy. So you are open to casting people in your movies who yeah. maybe didn't start out as actors, who maybe hosted travel shows on the BBC or yes. host podcasts yeah. in, in London. Yes, I'm uh, telling you, yeah, right yeah. there. I think okay. I'm looking at my next star. I think you are. Are you? Are he's you... out the window behind you. I'm sorry. <laughs> he's washing the he's washing the building across the way. Are you making uh, Boho Chic Bond anytime uh, soon? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I can totally nail it. No, <laughs> get ready. I think Bond should be a short-ish Baldy-ish, overweight-ish, <laughs> Northern Irish. Don't man. sell yourself short. But but you, you would it would be the perfect cover though. Like who would ever think? <laughs> no one would ever see me coming. <laughs> what if I do Spy Two? You can you can join. <laughs> All right. Okay. That's good. That's good. That's a that's an offer. By yeah. The way. That's a legally binding offer. There you go. Exactly. Especially and since Spy Two will never happen. Shit. So, exactly. <laughs> I was just I was just texting. I quit to my boss. Oh no. <laughs> like, stick your job. <laughs> <laughs> the sun don't shine. <laughs> Start oh, to erase. Man. Delete, delete. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's difficult. We're, we're talking around Simple Favor at the moment because yeah. Simple Favor is a lot of fun. Yes. But it's very hard to talk about. Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> it's just a spoiler fest. <laughs> yeah. So what, what can what can we say? What can we say about it? Well, it's a, it's a thriller. It's a fun thriller. A thriller, mm-hmm. as I like to call it. Uh, <laughs> in the classic kind of Hitchcockian mode. I'm not pretending that I am uh, Hitchcock, but just the way that he used to tell stories. Oh, and the way suits on set as well? Yeah, see, exactly. Exactly. The, the comparisons just keep rolling. But but I also just like, I missed how his movies were fun. They were thrilling and suspenseful and everything you want out of a thriller, but they were still fun. And you would laugh and you would have a good time. And, you know, I love modern day thrillers, but I think they take some, themselves slightly too seriously sometimes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, you know, as long as I'm in service to the actual thriller and make sure that I'm hitting all those notes and beats that I need to, there's no reason why out of this crazy situation, quirky, fun can't happen. You know, that it's not detracting, I don't think, from the, from the action, but actually additive to it. And so, yeah, yeah it's, in a nutshell, it's basically uh, Anna Kendrick plays this mom who has a vlog. She's a mommy vlogger. And so she's kind of the, she thinks she's the perfect mom, but all the other parents don't like her because she think you know she thinks she's a perfect mom. Mm. Um, and one day at school, her young five year old son is friends with this other five year old, and that other five year old son's mom is Blake Lively, um, playing the role of Emily, not actually Blake Lively <laughs> in the movie. How great would that be? <laughs> Uh, and and so they actually strike up this friendship, and um, and then one day Blake Lively's character asks Santa to pick up her son from school, and mm-hmm. she never comes back. It's a simple favor. Simple favor, exactly. That'll all, they'll always blow up in your face. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so Blake Lively, 
Yeah. Can't talk about her at all, really, in this movie, but she's tremendous fun. Yeah. And it makes you think, how has no one used her like this before? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's everybody tends to get typecast, you know, in different roles. And my favorite thing to do is to try to find people and and pull them out of that typecasting. You know, we did it with Statham and we did it with Chris Hemsworth. And uh, for Blake, I mean, you know, I had actually gotten wind that she was interested in in, in playing this role and wanted to work with me, which was really lovely because I'm such a big fan of hers. Mm. But I met with her and was just like, do you really want to play this sociopath? And she's like, oh, yeah, I want to go for it. <laughs> and, I mean, just one of the most delicious performances I've ever been, you know, yeah. in charge of or, or witness to. She's great. It's very, it's very apropos that she and Ryan Reynolds are married because <laughs> they're both really funny and they're insanely smart about their careers and the roles they play and how they promote it and how they do social media. And I'm just in awe. She's constantly kind of teaching me things. I'm just like, wow, I never thought to do that. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, she's great. Such as? Uh, Anything comes to mind? No, I mean, it's just ways to to promote things, you know, and how not to wear out your your followers and how to kind of, you know, be, not be, what? I don't know. It's so easy to do social media incorrectly by either blasting out too much stuff or you don't do enough stuff or you don't surprise people. And she's just really smart at it, you know, and she really, truly enjoys it. Were you looking specifically for Hitchcock loved blondes? Hitchcock blonde as a model. Were you looking specifically for someone like that? No, not really. The role was, you know, when when the script came to me, uh, it was actually, it's based on a book that Mm. went around Hollywood and there was a big bidding war for it. Uh, Fox 2000 got a hold of it. They had Jessica Scharzer who works, writes on like uh, uh, American Horror Story and she wrote the movie Nerve and all that. And so she did the adaptation and then they sent it to uh, my company, because I have a deal with Fox, and they were like, we don't know what this is. Like, this script's nuts. Like, is it a drama? Is it a comedy? Is it, we, we just don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they were like, will you produce it for us? And so my uh, producing partner, Jesse Henderson, read it first, and she came in and said, like, this is a really good script. You should read this. They want us to produce this. And I read it, and I was like, this is such a good script. I actually want to direct it. And um, and so took it on. Um, but, you know, the roles were very specific roles uh, uh, the, for Blake and Anna, which at the time, you know, neither one were attached. Um, but I, I knew it all hinged on, well, hinged on both of them, but it really hinged on who was going to play Anna's role. Mm-hmm. Um, because that, you know, because Emily kind of comes in and out of the script. Um, but what I think I responded to the most, if it had been like a straight thriller, I don't think I would have responded, even though I've been dying to do a thriller and I don't mm-hmm. quite know how to write that genre, uh, was how funny Anna's character could be mm. as a way in, you know, because she's the lead, so she's the audience. She is our eyes and we kind of experience this whole situation through her. Um and so I knew I had to get somebody really like funny, but a great actress who could just kind of walk all those all those tight robes. Um, but Blake was the one who came up first for Emily because she had I'd heard she was interested in it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I didn't have any preconceived notion until I heard about Blake, and then the minute I sat down with her, it just it was like who else could possibly play this role? There's no way. Like everybody else just blew out of my mind. Uh, you know, and then it was just about figuring out who was going to play the other role. And then the minute we kind of went, wait, Anna is perfect. Because I'd met with Anna two or three years ago about trying to figure out a project to do together. And we just sort of, you know, weren't weren't sure what it was. So then it was like, oh, this is the one. This uses all of Anna's skills, her her comedy, but her great acting. And, you know, and also it's a chance to kind of put her through the ringer in a way that 
audiences haven't quite seen her you know in the past mm. so uh but yeah and she's really great as well at playing wholesome but with an edge yeah it was very funny because in real life actually there blake and anna are sort of <laughs> the opposites of the characters that they play because anna's very funny and acerbic and you know she is just really something and uh and blake's this sort of earth mother kind of you know everything's nice and she's so lovely and all that and then she gets to play the sociopath and anna plays the <laughs> the sweet innocent little mom and it's just it's very funny when you hang out with them because they, they fully admit it <laughs> in terms of anna we're whenever you were casting Ghostbusters all those uh, well say all those years ago just a couple of years ago now yeah, I guess three I guess uh, oh, the geez. internet was putting together wish lists of, of people to be in that film mm-hmm. and I imagine Anna Kendrick featured on a, a whole bunch did she feature on your long list at any point was that someone you were looking at honestly everybody was on my long list it was because uh, there were so many people I was dying to work with but it just became about like okay well who can we mix and match and who you know who feels right and uh, and honestly I Kate was the first one that I cast and so I I kind of started building around Kate. Um, but no, I mean, Anna, everybody was on the list. You know, there's so many talented women. That's why I love making movies with, with women because there's just so many that I want to work with who are great. But, but when are men going to get their shot, Paul? <laughs> I know. It's very unfair. <laughs> someday, guys, someday you will have movies about you and you will be very happy. The balance needs to be redressed. Exactly. Women will get theirs. They'll, you know, finally have to take the back seat. Get in line, ladies. That's right. <laughs> oh, I can just hear the Twitter um, trolls gearing up right now. I would love to see your block list. <laughs> I don't block anymore. Really? I mute so nobody knows oh. when you block them. Exactly. Because blocking gives them the satisfaction yes. of knowing that they've maybe not got to you, but at least they have impinged upon your day in some way. Oh, yeah. Totally. No, they they very much celebrate that. And, but it's funny. I mean, not, you know, it's now been over two years since it came out. And there's still some guys that just feel the need to tell me how much they didn't like Ghostbusters. It's like, fellas... It's been over two years. You gotta, you gotta move on. I'm telling you, I've moved on. I have moved on. I had another movie that just came out. I made a whole movie in the time that you're apparently stewing over it. So uh, just embrace it. Embrace it. I'm telling you, there's I, there's movies I don't like that other people like. Yeah. So and stop and stop being mean to the people who like like it. Like anytime somebody writes me saying how much they like the movie, then they get inundated by trolls. And it's like, guys, just you gotta, you gotta let it go. It's you crazy. Gotta let it go. And it's happened, of course. It's, it seems to be uh, sort of an epidemic at the moment with uh, Ryan Johnson every time oh he tweets. I know. And Poor again, guy. he's someone who seems to be like you did, you did and you, you have been doing, taking it in your stride, his stride, yeah. your stride. You gotta. I mean, you can't, you know, look, in the beginning, I definitely probably overreacted to it. I, I was good all through production, but then I sort of had my moment of weakness when we got out of production and... You know, never quite recovered from that because the minute you you know you punch one, then suddenly they all. It's like professional wrestling when like the big guy's like, oh, he's, and then like he, somebody hits him with a chair, and then he like wobbles around like, I'm hurt, I'm hurt, and you're like, you know, you'd fire back at one troll, and suddenly it's like, oh, dare you, I'm hurt, you monster, and it's like, all right, guys, everybody just sorted out. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I love everybody, but you know, you hit a point where you're just like, enough, yeah. enough, fellas. Let's move on for Ghostbusters. Yeah, <laughs> why not? You, um, you can tell I'm <laughs> worn out <laughs> a little bit. Um, you mentioned that Spy will never get a sequel, and that 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 upsets people. I know it upsets me too. I mean, I mean, you know, never say never, but uh, you know, it's just I don't know. For some reason, it just seems to have. 
not uh, the studio hasn't clamored for one. Um, and now you know it might be too late. I don't know. It's you know it's been a few years now. Mm-hmm. I but you know look I, I love Melissa and. Mm-hmm. God knows I'd love to work with Statham again and oh my God, yeah. Miranda, the whole gang, Rose, I mean, everybody. And, you know, I had, and I've got a really good idea for it, too, that I was working on. But um, we'll see. I, I mean, I've got so many things I want to do, and there's so uh-huh. many projects in, in the hopper right now. Um, and I've, I've never done a sequel yet. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, partly on purpose, partly just because, you know, it just ha- they haven't happened. But I'm always kind of glad I haven't because, I don't know, I mean, there's very few sequels I've seen where I go like, yeah, I'm so glad they did that. I mean, comedy sequels in particular yeah. seem to me to be really tough nuts to crack. Well, you know, it, the problem is like a good comedy works because it's about the lead character solving this huge problem in their life, you know. So it's, and when you get into a sequel, it tends to be more plot driven. And the only reason, you know, people really you know reacted to bridesmaids and to spy that those are two stories about two different lead characters whose lives are a mess mm-hmm. and through the experience they go through they solve their life and come out as a better person so then to do a sequel it's like well am i gonna are you gonna start again like oh my life fell apart again then you'd be like well <laughs> screw that so then so then all you have is like well now they're awesome and are they going to help somebody else? But it's like, yeah, but I'm I invested in them kind of helping somebody else versus, you know, the, the reason why movies work is because you're just like, oh, please let this person who I love get their life together or let them win or let them solve something. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, spy, you know, could definitely work because now that she's a, a spy, it'd be like, you know, it'd be like a Bond movie mm-hmm. where then she takes on a new adventure. But I don't know. I mean, maybe that wouldn't be as fun because I think we were so rooting for Susan Cooper's character to, you know, to pull it together and to be successful, you know, and when she came into it just with no real skills or at least no skills that she was aware of or had become dormant. Um, so, you know, so that's, that's the biggest thing. That's why I love origin stories and that's why I always lean towards them. That's why I did it with Ghostbusters for, for better or worse, just cause I, I want to see people turn into something as opposed to like, well, there, there they are in the beginning and, oh, they had a, had a real hard time, but they came out the end successful. But what was the arc for them? What was, what's my emotional investment in them? I think you also get into a, into a situation with comedy sequels in particular where you, where directors maybe want to repeat, they don't want to repeat jokes from the first movie. Yeah. But they feel sometimes duty-bound to repeat, if not the same joke, but it's certainly a, a variation on a theme. Yeah, well, what happens is you kind of go like, oh, what were the things that, that worked? Oh, let's do it like twice as big this time or have fun with it, which sometimes can be great, but... More often than not, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, that's the thing that worked, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, like, because we, we wrote a sequel to, I mean, Katie Dippold wrote this sequel, you know, that we both kind of came up with the idea uh, for The Heat. Okay. It was, re- it's really funny, uh, but it's like, it's it's like the Silence of the Lambs is our take on Silence <laughs> of the Lambs. So, so it's different than the first one. Like, we didn't hit the same beats. Uh, and I think it's really funny and it's really <laughs> Dark, wow, dark and violent, yeah. But uh, I don't think that's ever going to see the light of day. So, so, so we do, we do, we do kind of think about it. But then, 
I don't know. It doesn't happen. Who, who, who's designing this? Who, who do I lobby? Well, that, that, that one's more... I, I, uh, Sandra just doesn't like doing sequels because I think she wasn't happy with some of the sequels she did for other things. And, and I understand <laughs> why. Well, I'm not going to say a word. But, <laughs> but you know, look, like I said, sequels are hard. And so who knows? I mean, maybe Heat 2 might not be good. But, uh, yeah. but I, you know, that, that was... Yeah. You kind of go like, oh, that would have been fun. Yeah. But I, I let the fates decide in my career, and I've found over my career that, like, something, like, I don't force anything to happen. I like I never force, like, anybody to work with me. Like, if I go out to an actor and they're like, no, they want to do it, like, a lot of times people go, like, well, you got to really, you know, go after them and talk them into it. It's like, no, I'm not going to talk anybody into anything because either, you know, I, I want to work with people who are like, yeah, I get it. You know, if I have to go like, oh, you change and all this, you know, look, we always change for them. But if they're just not like passionate about it the way that we are, it's just, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. hard to do it. Yeah, know? of course. Was there ever talk of a Bridesmaid sequel? Well, I mean, everybody wanted one, at, at, you know, at the studio. And uh, but Kristen wasn't kind of into the idea. Uh, but again, that, I mean, honestly, I think that one's a really hard one to do a sequel for. Yeah. Uh, even though it seems easy, everybody goes like, oh, somebody gets married. It's like, yeah, but what is the emotional arc? Because that movie was completely driven by the fact that her character was such a disaster. Oh, God, yeah. You know, and how she found her way back. Um, so again, it's very easy to say, oh, just do a sequel. But then, yeah. you know, then we have to sit there and go like, okay, it's got to be good or you're going to hate us oh, if it's, it's not good. I wasn't aware it was harder than us because I was just going to keep suggesting sequels. That you you have, yeah, you come on, do. bring it on. Uh, <laughs> well, let me see. We've what, talked, what, yeah, let's do another Ghostbusters. Okay, yeah, yeah, perfect. <laughs> I would um, do another Ghostbusters. Simple favor, simple uh, favor. Can we do? Sure, yeah. good, why not? I'm going to blow your mind, Paul. Bring it on. A simple, simple favors. Uh, oh, there you go. Oh, I like that. Hadn't thought Sounds of that, like a you? TV series. <laughs> <laughs> or, a, or a hot new band. Yeah, two favors yeah, <laughs> this time around. Just, I just want to like cement the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it coming. I love it. I'm out. I'm out, I'm <laughs> oh, out my, of stuff. See? I'm see? out of stuff. Not easy, is it? But it does feel, and again, we don't want to go into spoilers, but it does feel like this is, uh, these are uh, there are characters you could continue with. Oh, yeah, if totally. You to I so. mean, I, I, I always get enamored. <laughs> The idea of like the like the the Feig extended universe, where I just kind of bring characters from all my movies into another movie. But they don't. They're like, like four Melissa McCarthy's. Yeah, well, see, but you gotta, you know, <laughs> special effects. Now we can do this, that. This could be her Eddie Murphy moment. Yes. This could be. I w- honestly, I am on board. There you go. Thank you. If you want to make it happen, yes, yes, I can. I can hear the internet clamoring for this right now. <laughs> the excitement is palpable. <laughs> <laughs> Bridesmaids spy the heat yes. while ghostbusting. Yes, and I, and that's, well, that's all she's done to you. So well, yeah. yeah, and then the unaccompanied minors kids will come. <laughs> in. <laughs> I am David. Will pop. Uh, I'm going to go deep. <laughs> oh my god! Yes, the uh, the big cinematic universe. I'm yes. I'm totally on board. <laughs> uh, obviously, Melissa isn't in this movie. No. Day one, were you a bit lost? Did you, yeah, were you really. looking around? Going, I know it is odd. She? It's weird. I know we've done four movies together, yeah. which, which honestly, I mean, ask both of us. We never, neither of us ever planned on doing four movies together. We just really enjoy working together. And each one, it's like, oh, we're going to do this, and then like, well, maybe Melissa, you know, or she'll get a hold of the script and go, hey, can I do that? So, yeah, so you know, but we're you know, we're all doing our own projects right now. But we'll, I'm sure we'll probably work together on something else. But uh, you know, it's it's. I think we all enjoy mixing it up a bit. What's next for you? Do you have anything lined up, or is it just a long yeah, holiday? No, I'm, I'm moving to London. I'm actually here for good. I go to Paris to promote uh, Simple Favor the rest of this week, and then I'm back in London for for uh, at least half a year to shoot a new movie. 
that Emma Thompson wrote. Oh, of course, yes, yeah, yes, it's yes. Called tell, Last Christmas, it's called. Tell us more. It's great. It's just a really great romantic comedy that's a Christmas movie. It's a real love letter to London, which is one of my favorite places in the world. I've been dying to do a movie where I just kind of show off everything I love in London and the beauty of it. And, uh, yeah, we're going to start shooting in a few months. And Oh, wow. Yeah. No, okay. Exactly. Yeah. We have a putting together a great cast. I can't say who they are yet, but I think, <laughs> I think people will be, might be excited about well, it. Well, this interview is going out on Friday, Paul, so I think that's um, four days from now. So you've got four days to close some deals. Okay, excellent. Good. We can amend. Yeah, I'll just go here. I'll go. Uh, it's starring... <laughs> and then you can drop in. I'll, I'll just, on my iPhone, I'll yeah, yep. send in. Yeah, yeah like, I feel it really crackled. <laughs> right. Bill Phelps and... Oh, Bill Phelps is in it. Yes, and I Maureen love. Jenkins. Oh, my God. They're the greatest. Phelps and Jenkins. Phelps and Jenkins together again for the first time. It's so good that, uh, that Bill Phelps in particular is allowed to make movies after what he did. Well, I know. I know. We, you know he, had, we, he finally got out of prison. He did his time. He did his time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's very exciting stuff. And I, I, it must yeah. be exciting for you as well because you did this thing for us. I think it was last year where we we get directors with together with directors every now and again yeah. to talk about movies that mean something. Yeah, to them. that was so much fun. And we got you together with Richard Curtis. Yeah. You chose Richard Curtis mm-hmm. because you love. I love Love Actually. You love Love Actually. Yeah. And so working with, I mean, it's just Emma Thompson anyway. So, yes, you know, exactly. she put her on a pedestal. She's amazing. Yeah. She should be the next queen. Yes. But uh, she's a dame. She, she is it's a officially dame. officially a dame. She is a dame. So mm-hmm. is that better than a queen? I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> so, but also she's obviously in love, actually. So there must be part of you just going, eh, every oh, yeah. time you talk to her. Well, we, I was supposed to do a movie with her, um, this movie that Mindy Kaling wrote uh, and we were all getting ready to do it, and then there was a big scheduling snafu that happened, and so that got put on hold, and then I jumped back onto Simple Favor because I was already attached to that, and then put that on hold because it looked like the one with Emma and Mindy was going to go immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when that got put on hold, then I came back to Simple Favor, but Emma and I, during, during that process, just hit it off like a house on fire and stayed in touch the whole time. So I was sitting at my desk a few months ago uh, preparing to do another film, a completely different film, and mm-hmm. we were actually into the the deal making and on my my screen on my laptop popped up this email from emma just saying like hey i wrote a script what do you think you know we, we could have fun doing this together i'm like all right so i read it and it's so good so i'm like all right so i jumped off that other project so <laughs> there's some people that are very mad at me right now but uh <laughs> which is why you're moving to london yeah so yeah, yeah right exactly oh they're here they'll <laughs> they'll track me down um but you know it's, it's emma i mean emma is just the most wonderful person yeah yeah and, and you know obviously so talented and such an amazing writer and actor so uh you're coming back to london which is good because yeah. as a love actually fan are you aware that love actually is being performed in concert in december they're doing it what? i think in london maybe at the palladium no. with an orchestra playing all the the songs all the music and stuff, with the original so. cast uh no just showing the film and then i mean oh, they, cool. like, you can bring emma Oh yeah, well, yeah, wow. So done. There you go. Is Maureen Jenkins gonna Maureen be, Jenkins, be there? She's very difficult. She's very I choosy know. about yeah, what she goes. It's very expensive too. But Bill Phelps is all over it. Yeah, I know. That's right. Well, Bill, but we want to let that guy out in public after what he did. Well, I'm not he's, so sure. he's on his <laughs> rehabilitation tour, so <laughs> the public will, will forgive him eventually. <laughs> yeah, loser left. Yeah, loser left. Uh, Paul Fig, it's been an absolute pleasure. I look forward to seeing you next time for Boho Chic Bond, where yeah. it will be me. Yes. As, as Boho Yes, Chico. of course. 
Yeah, get ready. Legally binding offer. We'll take you over to Savile Row and get you all suited up. <laughs> they would yeah. kick me out. <laughs> Certainly not. <laughs> In a second. Like, they can scan people's wallets through. Yeah. They, they, they walk in, they just scan yeah. my wallet and go, no, this guy, they, exactly. get, get him out of here. Get him out of here. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. That's right. It's been Thank a pleasure. You. Thank you so much. Paul Vig there. And now we move on to the review section of the show. And then start with... The house with the clock in its walls. Eli Roth doing horror for the little tiny ones. Yeah, it sort of is. This is very much in the kind of goosebumps vein of horror with with enough charm and enough comedy to sort of keep you going. So Owen Ficaro plays a little boy who has lost his parents and he's sent to live with his distant uncle who is Jack Black, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, he lives next door to Kate Blanchett and uh, Owen swiftly learns that they are magic users, witch and a wizard, witch and a warlock, um, and decides that he too wants to learn magic so he can be like his uncle. Um, But the problem is that the house has secrets. Now, at first his uncle just says, you know, oh, don't go over there, which, I mean, (laughs) that's the first place he's going to go. You know he's going to go there. Um, So the the mystery doesn't last a heck of a long time, but then, of course, it becomes a fight against an evil from the dawn of... A few years ago. Yeah, Carl McLaughlin. <laughs> yes, I mean, it's a great cast. Carl McLaughlin as well as Renny Elise Goldberry from Hamilton. That's right. On oh, the... really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Who did she play in Hamilton? Angelica. Eliza. <laughs> and Peggy. <laughs> no, no, just Angelica. Anyway, uh, but it is, uh, it's a really good cast. And I think that helps to elevate what could be a slightly, let's face it, silly film otherwise. Oh, stop that. You're being silly. But I, I just had a really fun time in the same way that I did with Goosebumps. Yes. Um, and it is very much in that vein to the point where you're a bit like, I mean, you almost should have cast somebody who wasn't Jack Black mm. just to avoid the comparison quite so much. Although I think he's playing a very different character from R.L. Stein. He is, in, yeah, in very movie. much so. Yeah, yeah he's much more... Um, Jack Blackie in this. Yeah, actually, he's a bit more fun and a bit less um, prickly than he yeah. was in that film, at least at first. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed it. I had, I had fun with it as well. I think uh, I could watch Jack Black bigger with Kate Blanchett all day mm. long. And who thought that would be a thing? Uh, precisely, yeah. yeah. And you know, it's it's got some decent scares for the little ones and uh, yeah, it's some nice inventive production design and good performances and all that jazz. Uh, we gave it three stars. Three stars mm. for the house with the clock in its walls. Next up is the 22nd mile with a Wahlberg in its mile. It's mile 22. It is Jimbo. indeed. Uh, yes, this is Mile 22. This is the fourth Count Them collaboration between Peter Berg and Mark Wahlberg. Name them. <laughs> the Bergs. Okay, let's go for it. Uh, 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 so Lone Survivor was the first one. Uh-huh. Uh, Deepwater Horizon, the one yep. with the big oily bits. <laughs> and then Patriot's Day, the one with the running. Yes, correct. Well done. There we you go. win a special prize. <laughs> this is the first one not based on an actual real-life tragedy. Uh, it is, in fact, a completely fictional tragedy. Uh, and this stars Mark Wahlberg as an elite paramilitary agent named James Silver who suffers from a non-specified mental health disorder that isn't really spelled out. I, I believe he's supposed to be bipolar. Yes, he, it's, yes. It's very unclear. He's very good at jigsaws, and he snaps an elastic band on his wrist when he talks too quickly. Yes, I believe he told Nick, Nick was on set of this movie, and uh, apologies, by the way. Um, should we just pull the curtain down? 
because I've got to explain how my voice is different between. <laughs> uh, um, so we're doing this bit. Uh, you will hear Helen later in the podcast, but that bit was recorded yesterday. We've come in on Friday to do pickups for the podcast. How very Marvel of us! And in between, and this isn't. I, I, my voice has just been. F- fucked overnight so you can hear the palpable difference so anyway well i'm sniffier than i was yesterday you're as well. sniffier yeah. uh, as ben's, we do our adr ben's I'm hands slightly are croakier i'm just yeah. no, I'm dehydrated ben's hands are notably less soft today yes. ben's hands yeah. are rough like a like a trollerman yeah. what were you doing last night you don't want to know <laughs> don't ask don't tell the hidden dark side of ben travis is something oh. that fascinates me it really does anyway nick was on set of this movie and uh i believe mark Wahlberg or peter berg uh, told him that they wanted this character to be the first bipolar action hero. Yeah. So that's a thing they aimed for. But yes, he does He does enjoy Jigsaw. And other than that, he is in charge of a super elite team, uh, which also includes The Walking Dead's uh, Laura Cohen and Rowdy Ronda Rousey. And they send those in, a bit like the A-Team, when no one else can help, if you can find them, if they're about, if they're free, they'll come in and they'll shoot shit up for you. So, the basic setup of this film is Eco Wise uh, plays a human MacGuffin that they need to transport across town to get to a plane so that he can give some special information that he has. The distance between the safe house and the plane is, yes, you guessed it, 22 (laughs) miles. It's very clever, they don't just throw this shit together. Uh, And so essentially the whole film is them driving across town. So it's a little bit like uh, 16 blocks, but, you know, further. And, and and it is exactly what you'd expect from a Peter Berg film. This is a film which contains dialogue, the likes of which is, uh, I'm going to fight the fuck out of these motherfuckers. <laughs> Who says that? Uh, Mark Wahlberg does. Yes. And this sums up the film, I think, better than anything else possibly could. Uh, there's lots and lots of shooting. Most of the shooting isn't actually that interesting, but there's a couple of great action set pieces. There's one at the beginning involving a house full of terrorists, uh, and there's a, an awesome sort of sick bay fight where Eco Wise just shows once again why he could destroy us all with his little finger. So this is Eco Wise from The Raid. Indeed and, it is. Uh, this is essentially his first big US movie. Mm. And he is an astonishing <laughs> athlete. He is nuts. Absolutely nuts. Some of the stuff he does in this is just, ow, you just oh, you find yourself wincing. So do you get what you want from him? Oh, yeah. Without Gareth Evans kind of um, directing, does he, can he still... Does, does can he, he still start some shit? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, he can. I mean, my favourite MacGuffins are the ones that can punch people in the face. Oh yeah, he can. He can do many <laughs> things with people's faces, not just punching. Uh, he's good. Actually, Lauren Cohen is very good in this as well. Uh, she, in 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 many ways, I think outshines Wahlberg in this. I think he feels a bit one track. His character's a bit intense, not hugely likable. And I think when you join that with the politics, which again aren't hugely yeah. likable, it's a slightly problematic film. Well, it's, it's um, tricky because if you looked at Mark Wahlberg's schedule. <laughs> At no point in that, in between the 2.45 prayer time, uh, 2.45 in the morning prayer time, or the 6 a.m. shower that lasts for an hour and a half, or the 8 a.m. round of golf that lasts for half an hour. Or the post-breakfast snack and the pre-lunch snack. Yeah, and don't forget there's time for work uh, meetings (laughs) and friends and family, uh, that that one and a half hour window. And Um, 11 C's and second breakfast. (laughs) He has, he's basically played out half of Fellowship of the Ring before I've even got up. It's quite extraordinary. Bringing the ring to Mordor. Uh, Absolutely. It's it's all that sort of stuff, but at no point on his his schedule uh, is there any room for character development so you can see why this character might be a little bit underdeveloped or jigsaws to be honest there's not enough (laughs) jigsaws in the schedule that's mile 22 we didn't give it 22 stars we just gave it two oh not yeah that's a shame not 2.2 not 2.2 just straight up two ben what's happening next what Uh, tell me please oh say uh, uh, i've lost control of my 
vocal features. Okay, then I'm going to ask you for a simple favor. Okay. <laughs> okay. I want you to review a simple favor. Oh, I but can this do time that. I want you to get it right. What can you be alluding to here, Chris? <laughs> no, no, go on. Yeah, no, go on. Um, hoist yourself by your own petard. Go on, I'm have going have to it. hoist myself. Uh, <laughs> to my two-star review of A Simple Favour, spoiler yeah. alert. Um, so this is Paul Feig, first film since Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was on a really good role before that. I really liked Bridesmaids. Mm-hmm. I was a bit like enjoyable on, on The Heat. Uh, really liked Spy. Mm-hmm. Ghostbusters obviously uh, caused an entire shitstorm of horrible people on Twitter being uh, massive bellends. And <laughs> uh, I was really rooting for that film and I just found it a bit underwhelming. Uh, I didn't hate it, but it wasn't quite what I wanted it to be either. Uh, so this is Paul Feig kind of changing tack from that and it's being billed as his first thriller. So you've got Anna Kendrick, who plays this kind of squeaky, clean, goody-two-shoes mummy blogger called Stephanie. Uh, and she befriends Emily, uh, played by Blake Lively, who is kind of her polar opposite. Like, you see uh, Anna Kendrick making cupcakes for her, like, YouTube followers. And then Stephanie, when she finishes... Uh, sorry, Emily, when she finishes the school run, she goes home and makes crazy strong martinis and listens to, like... Uh, French Serge Gainsbourg music. But they become friends because their kids become friends and start having play dates. And then suddenly Emily disappears. Mm. The kind of one line pitch of this is what happened She's gone, girl. to Emily. She's gone. She's a girl <laughs> who's gone, possibly on the train. I think my disappointment with this was just that it is it's it's being billed as a thriller, not mm. not a comedy thriller, not a kind of slight a, a thriller twist on the Paul Feig kind of formula that you expect Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's being billed as a thriller and for me it just really doesn't work in that kind of sphere it doesn't play out like a thriller at all which is weird because the setup is very thrillery it's it's kind of it it's played quite light-hearted in the opening kind of setup but as a lot of thrillers are the whole point is that kind of emily uh, sorry stephanie is getting into the situation that she doesn't quite know what she's getting into and then you expect it to kind of go darker and weirder from there mm. and for me i just i just didn't believe in the characters or the world or the plot and i thought that the kind of um, it's unclear to me whether this is a mismarketed kind of bait and switch or whether mm-hmm. they genuinely didn't know what to do with it i'm inclined to think it's more the latter because it's certainly been billed as a thriller and i mm-hmm. went in thinking this is a gone girl type affair mm-hmm. and there was something odd about the film for like the first 20 minutes i was like oh, something's not sitting right with me what the hell is going on something doesn't and then i was like oh it's a comedy yeah, yeah. and it's a really really like pitch black dark comedy and once you get onto that track you actually enjoy it a lot more you're like oh it's genuinely this is quite funny and even in the most sort of tense scenes there's this thread of really demented comedy running Mm. through it the problem i found with this is it's a bit uneven like the first half the comedy is very subtle it's very very dark and it becomes increasingly salient as the film goes on. And towards the end, it's full-on, almost slapstick comedy. Mm-hmm. And I think at that point, I thought, I almost wish they'd, he'd held his nerve and kept the comedy sort of simmering below the surface mm-hmm. or embraced it from the beginning. But I didn't. the transition didn't really work for me. And yeah. I didn't think the thriller elements were strong enough to carry it on its own. Well, that's the thing. Even when, you, when it does become more apparent that, that it is playing better as a comedy than as a thriller it has funny moments Mm, but it's not funny enough to be a comedy and then basically you're stuck with this kind of slightly comedic film which is trapped in the plot of a thriller Mm. that the mystery for me didn't unfold in an intriguing way i kind of clocked out of what the mystery was i didn't think that the reveal was that 
interesting. And I don't know, I, I really like Anna Kendrick and I think she's really good in this, but I didn't for once believe that she was a mum. I didn't believe in the characters or the situation, in the world as well. The It's kind of, it looks like a Paul Feig film, like a Paul Feig it does, yeah. comedy. It's It's a very bright, very clean world. It doesn't have any element of of grit to it. It feels very unreal, but not in an arch kind of over the top mm. way. It it just doesn't doesn't feel like a thriller. And the characters are very broad as well. Like they're mm-hmm. quite archetypal, they're quite over the top. That said, I think Kendrick is fantastic, but more than that, I think Blake Lively is mm-hmm. superb. She it? is the reason to go yeah, and see that. Really compelling, see so much fun, so over the top, mm-hmm. but really, really funny. Like it's really great to see her get this such a juicy role and she really goes for it. And it's not a kind of glib surface um, kind of comment to say her outfits in this film are incredible. <laughs> if you're going it's to true. see Blake Lively just looking sharp as anything um, and kind of delivering some really nice barbed lines and that kind of thing you, you will get that i just wish that they had that that had featured in a a more satisfying mm. overall film for and me. you gave this two stars i gave this two stars because i it's because you're, you're a miserable man <laughs> you're a soft-handed everything. hater of, of all things fun me. I like, it, it's weird i did struggle with this over two or three because i think in in the moment it is basically in enjoyable as it happens but i just didn't i didn't think it was a good film i felt a bit like you know that video of the um raccoon holding the candy floss and then he accidentally puts the candy floss in the water and then suddenly it's like where where's it gone where's it gone that was me with this film leaving my mind and my expectations suddenly disappearing into the it's a good metaphor it's a harsh review Mm. i i had a very much three-star experience with this yeah uh i thought it was i thought it was loads of fun i didn't think it was as good as it could have been it certainly wasn't a four for me but i Mm -hmm. thought it was good there's lots to be fun to be yeah i agree performances are good it uh, it looks lovely uh shout out to our our future bond and waiting henry golding once again uh who having a hell of a time at the moment isn't he He old old henry golding i i had a i had a a decent time with this i went into this knowing that you'd given it two stars Mm. and so i was probably expecting the worst and and like James, I found myself laughing quite a lot the first 20 or 30 minutes. Then the mystery star stuff kicks in. I would agree with you that I don't think the reveal... I don't think it ever tips into full-blown thriller territory, but I think yeah. that maybe it gets a little confused and maybe there, there is a reveal that's, you know, mm. that's not given too much away. It's one of those movies in which there's twists every five minutes. I didn't think the big reveal was handled that well, but good performances. I had a good time. Yeah, I would give this... Ten stars. No, three. I'd give this three, but uh, but Ben, Ben, hater of fun. husk of a man, Ben yeah. Travis, Travis Fickle has given this two stars. It's closer to a two point two. It's okay, well, but that's still rounding down. Yeah, it's two mean, stars. Exactly. That's why okay. I ended up at two. Oh, you're unbelievable. You're uh, Helen. What did you think? That's just rude, frankly. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, okay, well, that's it for this uh, podcast pickup section. Unless there's any news that you want to talk about that's broken overnight. Michael B. Jordan wait, playing. Wait, wait, wait. The Avengers title? Ha- no, it, it hasn't happened it hasn't. yet. It, uh, will, it happen. will happen. Yeah, as I'm, as I'm editing the podcast, it will happen. Uh, Michael B. Jordan is to play John Clark in a series of movies for Paramount. John Clark, of course, is Jack Ryan's buddy. And you see him in Clear and Pleasant Danger, he's played by Willem Dafoe. And he's Liev Schreiber in The Sum of All Fears. And he's kind of like a black ops CIA guy who does the dirty work that Jack Ryan, who's usually back at home pushing pencils, can't do. I thought it was interesting, given that Krasinski's playing Jack Ryan on mm. the small screen and Paramount are pushing John Clark onto the big screen. 
maybe they're trying to set up some sort of trying to set up JRCU. some sort of JRCU. Yeah, maybe a, <laughs> JRCU. Uh, that'd be quite fun. So the first film's going to be Without Remorse, which is a Clark Sola novel, and then the second film, All Being Well, although I am a little worried about Kiva Goldsman being attached to this, yeah. uh, is um, Rainbow Six, which oh, is a video yeah. game I've played. So is this just where they sit around playing Rainbow Six? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've actually played that video game. Wow, so have I. Yeah, I've played um, many of them. No, Siege, I'm sure you Vegas. have. <laughs> I, I played it for um, half an hour and I died and then I stopped playing. <laughs> of course you did. Uh, did Is you it, watch Chat Ryan, either of you? Not yet. I, no, I'm, I haven't I, seen it. It's on my list. I, I've got a 15-hour mm. uh, round trip to Liverpool tomorrow, so <laughs> I, may, do it. I may queue it up on my no, it's, it's fun. Uh, I, I recommend it. It's got the bunk in it as well, so it's always Ooh. worth seeing. Yeah. Wendell Pierce. And it's got F-words and stuff, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's, it's wall-to-wall F-words, which is mainly probably why I liked it. I was like, oh, yeah, the one with the swearing. Uh, that's I don't really re- all I take away. I've read a few uh, Tom Clancy, Jack Rand novels, and I, I think they're a little bit like the Reacher novels in that there is bone-crunching violence <laughs> uh, depicted in excruciating, eye-watering detail. But no C-bombs. But no C-bombs or <laughs> F-words. That's you know, the weird thing. Like, you read the Jack Reacher novels, and he will rip people to shreds but there has never been an F word see I feel Jack Reacher doesn't need to swear I, I feel that his he is version a human of swear swearing word. is when he pulls your arms off and beats you to death with them I think that's, that's how he ends sentences if I could do that I wouldn't need to swear nearly as much as I do yeah he is fuck you in human form <laughs> All right, okay, I'm going to wrap up this bit. Uh, <laughs> and we are now going to go back to the future type thing. And Helen's going to appear magically for this next bit. To say goodbye. But just pretend that you don't know that this is a different <laughs> recording session and it'll all See, flow seamlessly. Chris, the problem is you should never show people how the sausage is made. <laughs> it's your kids, Chris. We've got to save your kids. <laughs> hang on, hang on. Well, okay, okay. I was going to wrap it up, but why is Doc Brown Scottish? And <laughs> why is he misquoting Back to the Future? <laughs> yeah. You've got to save your kids back there. <laughs> I can't help being half Scottish. <laughs> Playing the part of Nick DeSemlin today is Ben Travis. <laughs> Nick, Nick DeSemlin brings me in to do impressions after him so that his impressions seem better. <laughs> yeah. What's your Paul Giamatti like? Um, okay, let me see if I can summon him. <laughs> Give me, I need a phrase, I need something. Uh, well, Nick's impression of Paul Giamatti is essentially just him just like saying, ah, Paul Giamatti. <laughs> that's, that's Nick's impression of Paul yeah. Giamatti. It's, it's Paul Giamatti the ghost, it seems to be. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, oh, wait, wait, I've, got, I've got a line. I've got a line. I've got a line. Okay, a line. Okay, okay, is okay. this from Shoot 'em Up? <laughs> and the line is, ah, either... He's really good, or we really suck. It's one of those, I think okay. maybe the line. Anyway, go. Either we're really good, or we really suck. Well, well that's the thing. thing. That sums it up. That sums it up. That's pretty much it. So here you go. Enjoy Helen appearing as if I'm, as if I'm magic. Bye. Also out this week, we have the return of Gaspar Noe, Mr. Controversy himself. And his latest film is called Climax. Now, Helen... <laughs> Having seen his last film, Love, and my word, it, you know, this conjures up all sorts of images, but it's not quite that. I mean, it's not quite as graphic as that, but then nothing yeah. is. Because <laughs> that had, I mean, some really point of view camera work. I was, mean, because there, there are two things on Netflix called Love. Yeah, one's the comedy with Gillian Jacobs, yeah. and one is the full-on, like, willies everywhere uh, sex yeah. thing yeah. with Gaspar Noe. Don't get those mixed up if you're no, watching really them in public transport. I saw it in 3D, Chris. <laughs> 3D. Oh, I remember you talking about 3D spurting. Mm, oh, my God. It just was like, not what you need to see. Just like Cleopatra. 
It was coming at you. <laughs> it really was. Anyway, Are so they going to do it in 4DX? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, you get sprayed by no, the scene stop, from... <laughs> stop, No. <laughs> so, Climax, salty despite po- the title... Salty Pop. Salty Pop. Well, it wasn't at first... <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure how to follow that. Yeah. Climax, Helen? <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> not before lunch. Um, <laughs> so, despite the title, this actually has a lot less of that in it. Okay. Yeah, than, yeah, than the last one. Uh, this basically is about a dance troupe, a French dance troupe, uh, who we meet, first of all, through their sort of audition videos, and then see rehearsing, fabulous dance, and then they decide to celebrate before they set off their separate ways before going on tour um, but someone spikes the punch and it all goes very very swiftly south ah. that's basically the entire plot of the film <laughs> um, I genuinely like very little happens uh, otherwise but it is uh, quite it's quite stylish it's quite uh, as you'd expect quite graphic in some of the mm. violence and sex that, that comes out of it although a lot less though than love or irreversible it's it's a bit of a tone down in a way, which is a weird thing to say when you see it. But no compared way. to some of uh, compared to some of his last stuff, it's it's a little bit more restrained, a little bit, and it's almost all within this one sort of dance school location. So okay. it's going to obviously get com- com- comparisons to Suspiria and so on. Yes. I think I gave it four. <laughs> you uh, can't I did. Be sure. Yep. I mean, I'll be honest. It's 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 a film that. Hmm, it's it's weird and bizarre and but I was thoroughly entertained while I was watching it and uh, and so that counts for a lot. It's and it does say some interesting things I think underneath all of the weirdness. Four stars then for climax. By the way, four stars for your pronunciation pronunciation of irreversible. That's the first Thank time you. I've ever heard anyone actually go irreversible. 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 Uh, also out this week we have the return as a director of Lenny Abrahamson and Donald Gleeson. Uh, Sorry, that he's not directing it. Uh, and it is The Little Stranger and Ben. So this is based on Sarah Waters' novel. Uh, it stars Donald Gleeson as Dr. Faraday. Uh, it's set post-World War II. Uh, he starts tending to the Ayres family, who are a uh, upper-class family who own this big crumbling mansion. Uh, you've got all these tensions of kind of post-World War, PTSD, uh, class differences, the kind of end of that kind of side of old Englishness uh, and it's also a kind of slightly possibly supernatural ghost story in the background mm-hmm. um, I have to say I actually really enjoyed this we gave uh, it a slightly less rosy review in the mag Hello. it's very it's very slow it's two hours and it's very slow but for me I enjoyed the really careful unfurling of these very very like buttoned up characters um, it's one I would say if you liked Crimson Peak for what Crimson Peak mm-hmm. actually, mm-hmm. what what that film was, rather than what it was being marketed at as, um, you should go and see The Little Stranger because I thought it was similar in in tone and feel. Um, and we gave that three, but personally, I'd be a little bit higher on it. Three stars then for The Little Stranger. Helen concurs because she wrote the review. I do. I think um, I kind of agree with everything you said in terms of mm-hmm. the themes and the, and the class stuff was really interesting, but it just felt a little bloodless at times for me, uh, both literally and figuratively. Okay. Uh, and that is it for this week's Emperor Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by someone. Really? I'm not entirely sure who's going to We got someone? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Very tough negotiations, but we got him. We got him, and just as soon as I find out who he or she is, it's going to be a real belter of an episode. I know I know who it is. It's Matthew Good and Teresa Palmer from Skies of Discovery of Witches. That's who it is. Fantastic. There we go. They were meant to be in this week's episode, but we had to bump them. So there we go. Peek behind the curtain there. (laughs) (laughs) 
until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. It's goodbye from James Dyer. Bye. It's goodbye from the man with the softest hands in showbiz, Ben Travis. Bye, I'm doing jazz hands as I say that. <laughs> Soft jazz hands. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. It's my birthday today, so I'm off for a birthday Nando's after this. I do send your usual thanks and well wishes and money orders to the usual address at Chris Hewitt on Twitter. Until we meet again, thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye.